by all means, we should figure out a, a grand uh, way to start this podcast off. You know, I, I think it should just be us screaming Fantastic Four at each other. <laughs> Fantastic that... Four! Fantastic what? Four! First of all, hello, listeners. Hi. Um... <laughs> Secondly, the reason I'm saying that is I'm looking at the first page of Fantastic Four number one, which really does just scream Fantastic Four. That's true. <laughs> at the reader. See, the Fantastic Four! The like Fantastic the Four! Fantastic Four! Fantastic Four! Like that? Oh my god, that's her theme song right there. <laughs> just get some crunchy old metal guitar riffs. Fantastic Four! Fantastic Four! Fantastic Four! Fantastic Four! What's great is that you think I'm not going to do that. I See, this is the scary part. Now that you're in charge of the editing, like, the world just got so much scarier. I'm like, oh. Yeah, you should see. You should have just left it the way you did, first of all, because I was laughing over it, so I didn't have a clean version. But then you did it again. I hate you, Graham. So, uh, hi, listeners. listeners. Welcome to. We never, we never came up with the we name. We never did it. come up with a name. We, no. we, sh- we should. What, what do you think we should? Oh, you know what I was thinking of calling it? Tell uh, me, Jeff. Baxter Building. Oh, I like that. You know? That's officially the name of the podcast as of now. What's great <laughs> is that everyone who listens to this uh-huh. like, will have seen like us calling it that. They'll be like, look, it says Baxter Building. That's a cute name. And then... You- People, you're getting to hear the origins right now. That's right. It's happening in real time. We have not discussed this. But, you know, I thought that kind of had a nice, you know, ring and sort of a thing about it's, especially after reading these first dozen issues, the first dozen issues of the Fantastic Four, the concept of something being built or in construction or it being an ongoing process just seems very, very attractive. Yes, I think I think you chose well. Oh, thank sir. you, Graham. Thank you. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any people who will be listening to us for the first time with this, but it, in case there are, I'm Gray McMillan. This is Jeff Lester I'm talking to. Uh, we do the Wait What podcast, which is probably where you found us. But on this particular strain of it, we're going to be rereading, or in some cases reading, yes. the entire volume one run of Fantastic Four. Yes. 416 issues, yeah. Plus annuals. So yeah, plus annuals, and I'm sure there's some giant sizes or something in there as well. Ooh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they, there definitely are. I'd just be curious if they, if uh, how, how, how we get the access them. to yeah. them exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we should also say that both Jeff and I are working off of copies that were scanned in for the Fantastic Four DVD that mm-hmm. they issued in like 2000. I think? Yes, 2005 from GIT Core. But what is great about this is it means that Jeff and I are working off original copies and not reprints, which I actually want to talk about soon. But also, some of them have stuff written on them. So, for example, the first page of the Fantastic Four Mm -hmm. issue one has Ash written in green pen at the top of the page and also a stamp on it that says Eric Sluis of 990 Peralta Avenue, Albany, California. (laughs) 
Isn't that amazing? It's like a stomp in the middle of the first image, which I love. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of great. Um, the other thing, and I don't know, maybe I should hold off until we actually get to it, but one of the issues is signed by Jack Kirby at the bottom of uh, yes. the page, which I yes, thought was... amazing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, fuck, an autographed copy. I Also, though, listeners... Um, Although we're doing the, the scans, in some cases, at least I jumped over to read the occasional cleaned up copy available on Marvel Unlimited. I think Marvel Unlimited, at least to, to get us going, has a, a huge chunk of the initial issues, but I, I don't it, know. It has the majority of the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's missing some issues around the 300s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's about it. I mean, I want to say they have something ludicrous like 390-odd issues of the 416. Wow. Wow. Uh, they're much worse when it comes to annuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If yes. all people following us along with us uh, on Marvel Unlimited warning right now, they are actually kind of bad when it comes to annuals. Yeah. So feel free to jump in and read along with us either through partially through the Marvel Unlimited or if you hop over to eBay and start searching for that GIT core uh, DVD. Um, it, Be warned, it'll cost you a fortune. It's it's not cheap. It's not cheap. But if it makes you feel better, the Fantastic Four disc also has all the Silver Surfer issues that I'm planning on that I would love to read at some point. So that's that's who we are. That's what we're doing. <laughs> Most of you know us and this because we've been talking about it on Wait What forever. But um, yeah, Graham, let's let's get down to it, right? Let's get down to it, Jeff. This first issue yes. is amazing mm-hmm. and so unlike the Fantastic Four that you've come to expect. Yes. Like, and I've read this comic before, but yeah. re- rereading it this time, I was like, this... This is, it's amazing that they got to Fantastic Four. That mm-hmm. In particular, Lee and Kirby got to the Fantastic Four that we know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It, you know, mm-hmm. you can almost think, well, you know, 50 years later, of course everything's going to change. But Lee and Kirby got there in 50 issues. Mm-hmm. And, but reading this first issue, you would not think that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, one of the things that's, that's really sort of wonderful wonderful about reading this these first dozen issues is seeing... The, how the pieces come together, the pieces that aren't right, and the pieces that kind of are are amazingly, um, like, you know, sort of pretty much from right from the get-go seem, you know, right on the money. Oh, what what do you think is right from the get-go? Because oh. there's so much that's totally dissonant for me in this first issue that I'm really curious what you think is there already. Oh, sorry. No, this is later on in the first dozen. So let me stick to the first issue. This first issue is crazy. And I have to say, I, I love the... The first several issues of the Fantastic Four, it, it, well, through the through the first, I don't know, five pages of issue three, the Fantastic Four do not have superhero uniforms. And yes. one of the things that is really, that's also very interesting is the way that Lee and Kirby usually open with uh, the Fantastic Four kind of storming out of the crowd. You know, there's usually one figure that's doing something like here. It opens with Mr. Fantastic, like shooting off a flare. But the next a, a flare, pages... by the way, that says the Fantastic Four. Yeah. And in case you think, first of all, that that's a comic conceit and it's actually a flare that says something else. One of the characters later says that it says the words the Fantastic Four. <laughs> yes. Those three words. Amazing. What do they mean? Yeah. Exactly. Also, I love that it includes the. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's something about the specificity of 
the Fantastic Four being there, that it's like, okay, sure. <laughs> I, I love that. I think it's so great. And really funny that really quickly, I wouldn't say by like issue three or issue four, it's turned into the four, the numeral four that is the flare. Yeah, I think I I want to say that when Johnny fires his little flare gun after Namor gets loose, it's just it's just a four. But it, <laughs> it, it and it may be even sooner than that. But I I don't know. Um, but yeah, you get a great opening sequence of uh, Sue Storm turning invisible, shoving a bunch of people around because Sue's kind of a dick when she's invisible. Then she hops into a cab, invisible, waits for it to cruise around until it gets to where she's going, and then she gives them an invisible dollar bill, which is... No, 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 dollar bill is visible. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. Dollar bill while she's invisible. So he goes, huh, wait, who said that? What? (laughs) And she goes, don't just sit there gaping, man. Take your money, which is so great. Yeah. Yeah, it it really is pretty awesome. I mean, well, let's. I, no, I, yeah, I was just going to say, I just I'm I'm tickled because it's one of those great comic book conceits where it's like, because I've read this issue in particular, like I don't know, this probably a half dozen times at least, and yet this is the first time I ever caught like, huh, you know, he's just driving around New York like this as a form of transportation. It's an it's elegant. Terrible. You know what I mean? Like. What a- what if he went in the wrong direction? Four hours later, she's like, ah, okay, close enough. Sorry I had it's to like, deal with that airport I'm run and all that now. luggage. But, uh, yeah, exactly. So, Well, I want to talk about the opening because the opening is super, super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. All of Fantastic Four issue one reads like a monster comic. And yes. specifically reads like a monster anthology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way the chapters are broken up, mm-hmm. it visually resembles each chapter is a separate story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first, the introduction to the, the main characters in the first issue mm-hmm. puts uh, Reed and Sue and Ben all as threats. Yes. Reed is the scary, dodgy man at the front mm-hmm. who says that it's the first time I found it necessary to give a signal. I pray it will be the last. And he's almost entirely in silhouette. He's backlit. Yes. So you can't see him. He looks pretty Sue, damn menacing. Yeah. Sue then accidentally terrifies people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. By running through them while invisible. Yes. Saying, stand aside, I have no time to lose. As opposed to, you know, being visible so people could move out of the way. No, 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 no. She's going to be invisible. Then she gets in the cab. Ben then is like, I want a coat. Fuck you. I'm going to tear up the sidewalk. <laughs> for for no mutually apparent reason. Yeah. But all of them are threats. And, and Ben is he's the most monstrous looking, obviously. But mm-hmm. he's the one that they really milk the... You can't trust him. You don't know what's going on. He's destructive. Thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you get to Johnny. Mm-hmm. And Johnny's introduction is much more like, hey, kids, he's just like you. Yeah. It's amazing that you get, who are these people? Are they dangerous? Who's this? Is she dangerous? Who's this? He must be dangerous. Look at this crazy kid just fixing up cars. Yeah. Yeah, uh, one of the things, and again, it, it's it's sad that I'm so bad at linear speaking and or thinking, say nothing of just speaking and thinking generally, is looking at the letters pages as these go forward. Oh, yes, definitely. Also, seeing names you recognize on the letters page, including names of Marvel staffers. Oh, my God, yes. We will get to that. That that <laughs> I did mark that down. But um, but but for some of the non-staffers, there were... There were uh, a number of kids who basically like tremendous human torch fans. Like the human torch has never really been a figure that, that really, 
I apologize if this is a pun sparked my interest, you know, but, but he is huge. And thinking about it, like seeing the letters, you realize as he goes on, he is a teenage kid, but he is, he's not a sidekick. And in fact, in the first couple of issues, he's the most powerful member of the team. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the most powerful member of the team, and also he is the point of view character. Yes, I think that I think it's that's a good very, point. very identified as this is the one you can empathize with. Mm-hmm. You can't empathize with Reed. You can't empathize with Sue because hey, she's a girl, cooties. And can we take a second just to talk about the absolutely? I mean, we did this when we we're reading Avengers as well. The crazily offensive gender politics. Oh my god, that's so oh, bad, so man. bad in this um, issue. And well, in the first twelve, like there's the the part when you get to the end of the first twelve where they're talking about where you actually have Reed and Ben addressing the reader, chastising them for being down on Sue because oh. she's the most important character. And the reason she's the most important character is she inspires <laughs> us men. Yeah, is, but... is holy shit. But um, so yeah, so Sue's out, Reed's out, Ben's obviously out. He's a monster. Mm-hmm. So you're left with Johnny. Johnny is the one guy who is. Who's the reader? Mm-hmm. And it's in very intentionally positioned as such in the first few issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, and I have to say that even though that is absolutely the case, uh, and I agree with you 100%, the scene in which Johnny goes from, oh man, cars, I, there's nothing I love more than cars, you know? And then he's like, okay, well, the one thing I love more than cars, he bursts into flame and then he flies through the car, and that car, that melting car, like he, mm-hmm. they literally show him bursting through the top oh, of the it's, car. It's such a great visual. It's yeah. such a great visual. And that car is melting. The tires are melting and fusing. On the one hand, yeah, great, but also nightmarish. It is interesting how nightmarish the Fantastic Four are in this issue. It very much is monsters versus monsters in this mm-hmm. in this first issue. I, and you you. Also, and this runs through first three or so issues, mm-hmm. the Fantastic Four are not accepted by society. Yes. I mean, as soon as the, uh, the torch flies into the air in the first issue, the National Guard chases after him. That's like, right. They fire a nuclear missile at him. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, nuclear gets thrown around a lot in these issues yes. because Stanley clearly read the word and didn't know what it meant. But it was like, <laughs> that's a big deal. No, really. There's a nuclear missile. Like, there's a nuclear locking mechanism in the Baxter building at one point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which Johnny burns his way through. Yes. With, so, without know. using heat, which yes, is another it's, one. It's flame, is, which yeah. has no heat. Yeah. yeah. There, there's definitely the feeling that Stan is... Stan understands science. Yes. His understanding of science as imparted to him on, on the margin notes of Jack Kirby's pencil pages has led to some very disastrous misunderstandings of how science works and, and in a comical way. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. Like it, it's charming looking at it now because you have the, Oh, those idiots. And you know, 50 years ago, right. look at them. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's, there's a level of I can't believe you didn't research any of this before saying it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, you no, know? no, 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 like none of it. The mm-hmm. nuclear bomb that they fire after Johnny mm-hmm. just gets put in the Hudson, mm-hmm. and that's that's apparently fine. <laughs> it's true. It explodes in the Hudson, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally fine. No, it, it's a it's a fascinating uh, the the way in which 
Lee and Kirby are crafting something new, but really out of the out of the old, out of the ways that they understand comics to exist, even when they when they start doing it. Like the Fantastic Four is in its way utterly revolutionary as a superhero team comic book um when it's in these first few issues and yet fascinatingly enough it ends up becoming it doesn't really it evolves past that into some other thing but in the course of doing it there is a certain degree of um of like this is a disposable comic book at the same time that they even make noises like they might be thinking of something more like when you see the continuity being praised uh, in the letters pages, like at Fantastic FF number five or something where someone's like, oh, my God, you guys have done a great job keeping the continuity going from issue to issue when really it's almost nothing other than a character gets pissed off and flies off one issue and they're still and, gone and, the next issue. Yeah, And the next issue, they're like, what happened to him? It's. It's funny that you say they're they're building something new out of what they already know mm-hmm. because the first issue is very much uh, Stanley and Kirby doing a monster comic the way they've been doing monster comics before. Yes, but also the origin sequence. Oh God, I was just going to mention that. Yeah, mm-hmm. is Challengers of the Unknown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is Kirby's challenge like is at some points almost a panel by panel lift? Yeah, of Kirby's Challengers of the Unknown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you really do have this weird schizophrenic. Uh, it's just—it's made up of all these stolen parts. Yes, and I think the first issue really reads like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you get even by the time you've got to like issue six, mm-hmm. it doesn't. It reads like the beginning of Marvel as you know it. It's so funny, but, yeah, yeah. We'll have to go it, back and talk about which issue that happens for us because I definitely have a definite issue where that, where that, where I, where I felt that click um but, but it but is certainly first, not the, the first, first issue. issue yeah the first issue feels very much like yeah oh we'll have part of that i'm left part of that i'm left part of that and we'll just make it work yeah yeah um so uh i think apart from that i think there's a way in which reading it as you know a monster comic one in which you know the the heroes of the story are sort of themselves monsters um, you know, there's a few gaffes or things that I think are really funny. I love the fact that, that Reed did that. I had heard there was a giant three headed creature guarding this Island. Like, I'm like, that's incredibly specific information, you know, little bits and pieces or like the end of the comic, uh, where basically the mole man, like the mole man is going to have this whole plan. That's like to destroy the cities by like burying underneath them and opening up all these tunnels and everybody falling into just giant pits basically. And at the end of the issue, it looks like the mole man has been blown up. But if you read the text, it's actually them being like, Oh, he just sealed himself below forever. You know? Yeah. And you're like, that's, that's not where you should have left him. Yeah. I'm like, he's still <laughs> got the plan. It's like, I don't understand what you guys are talking about. Like everything well, should fall apart now. You know, the end of this issue is fascinating. In fact, the pacing of this issue is fascinating. Yes. There's a lot of pages in the first issue. It's, mm-hmm. it's what? 25 pages of story. Yeah, I think so. Most of the issues. Uh, are... Yeah. So 25 mm-hmm. pages of story, uh, but there's still too much in here. Yeah. 
Uh, and I think one of the things that they learn really early on, maybe around issue three or issue four, mm-hmm. is that you can have a part one and part two story, which yeah. at this point you couldn't really do. I don't think DC was doing that at this point. So I think that the need to wrap things up for the most part yes. in one issue right. was predominant. And it just does not work in this issue. There's far too much. Yeah. The, the, the threat of the moment doesn't get introduced until page 14. Yes, yeah, and gets wrapped up mm-hmm. in a page. Yeah, yes, in super quick. The one last page. Yeah, he it, even more time is actually spent on his origin, comparatively, than it is on actually dealing with what he ends up uh, arousing. And there may be a li- again, there's a little bit of monster comic pacing for that. You know, it's kind of like. You kind of build, there's the big threat, everything looks like it's kind of, you know, it's like the fall of the House of Usher, you know, it's just like, the madness is unleashed, somebody, you run out while all hell is falling apart around you, and and to be fair, I think that Kirby, uh, who I always think is such a strong influence on the actual plotting and pacing of these issues... Uh, is very much a fan of, let's throw in another cool thing, let's throw in another cool thing, let's throw in another cool thing. Oh, how do we wrap this up? The torch is going to to fly in a circle so quickly that uh, all the monster and everything are just going to be dashed away, hundreds of miles away, and that's that's it, you know? Um, the, the resolution of this issue very much feels like one of those times where Kirby had an idea of how it ended. Yes. But he didn't explain it properly to Stanley. Totally. And so you get Stanley just kind of guessing. Yes. And it doesn't really make any sense. Mm-hmm. If, if you look at the last two pages and don't read them, but just look at the images, yes. you can imagine a second narrative. Yes, absolutely. That, that, especially with the, because in the, the final four panels, it makes no sense that the mole man would blow himself up. Mm-hmm. None. Yeah. But if you look at the images, you see the human torch flying around in circles and filling all the tunnels with flame. Yes. And then when they fly away, there's an explosion. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it could be, who knows what, what Kirby's thinking. Like the, the human torch flies through and sets off a natural gas vein, you know, exactly. There, there's, it, it is, it's interesting that right here in the very beginning, these guys who are, you know, for, for, for such a long time become this, this shorthand for like you know the greatest team in comics Lee and Kirby is like you can see right here right off the bat these areas in which they are not not on the same page they're they're not operating from the same understandings you know or there's certainly later times as we'll see where I think that um, where Lee decides to very much deliberately undercut what uh what Kirby is suggesting in the panels. So something else that's really fascinating about the first issue is it is almost entirely devoid of Stanley's hucksterism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The narrator plays it amazingly straight. Yes. Uh, And it is very much, you know, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. I'm purely being informative. Yeah. 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 Uh, And I think for everyone now, when you think of Stanley, you think of the, Hey, true believers. Yes. You know, you think of that very pally, very, you know, it's you and me against the world, buddy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Phrasing. Yeah. And the first issue, that's that's just not there. Yeah. And and to the issue's detriment, I think. I think every, I, 
there's so much less personality in all of this. There is. Well, or that's right. I I think the personality is is low key, but I also think that there is, for better or for worse, uh, there's not really the room. You know, there is a little bit of a collaboration. I think as we go on and we talk about some of these other issues, even in the first dozen, there are times where um, Kirby plays it much more loosely. Like there's scenes of people, you know, just the tension in the group as it becomes more and more of a horsing around sort of situation, or even the way that people react onto the street becomes less a sense of fear and a little more a sense of, um, play, you know, the playfulness develops yeah. among the well, two people at the same time. But I think yeah. it would be very hard to do uh, a comic with these panels because it's pretty grim and foreboding and then well, cut the in the first a... issue is scary yeah it's a scary there, issue. There, you have you don't really have any splash pages one that the other things that's fascinating about this looking at it historically is kirby's pages are packed here mm-hmm. and i tend to think of kirby as putting less panels on a page yeah especially by the time he gets to the 70s you know mm-hmm. you're talking like four six panels at most yes and here he's he's packing them in. Yeah. You know, here's 10 pounds to a page. Here's seven pounds to a page. Yes. But there are three splash panels, one for each chapter. Mm-hmm. And in each of them, there is a threat. The yes. first panel is the flare and everyone's pointing in the sky and everyone's terrified. Mm-hmm. The second panel is the monster coming through the streets in a, a different version of the cover. Yeah. The third panel is uh, Sue... Basically going, oh, I don't know where the others are. I am a woman and therefore sad. But while she's in the foreground and there's a monster right behind her that she yes. hasn't seen. Mm-hmm. The, it, the whole thing of this issue is this is scary shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that goes very quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's gone essentially by the third issue. Yes. But, but for the first issue especially, yeah. this is – this is differentiating itself from DC, not by being this is the story of personality, but by being superheroes are scary. Yeah, superheroes are scary. This is much closer to this is much closer to the tone that um, they that that the X Men end up trying to take, or the Doom Patrol ends up trying to take. You know, uh, just very much, or even that Kirby returns to later in Silver Star, the idea that you have super powered beings and they are they're fucking terrifying and the only thing the best thing they've got going for them is that there are more terrifying things out there in the world that they're protecting us against exactly yeah these guys are scary but you should see the other guys it's, exactly. it's pretty much the lesson of fantastic for number one yeah and it's funny because while they are fantastic in the uh in the sense of visual spectacle and in the sense of they are out of the ordinary Mm -hmm. fantastic for me as a word Mm -hmm. has this connotation of being exciting and positive and 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 upbeat and that is that's not present in this book yeah the first issue is you're like wow i'm not sure i call that fantastic you know i might call it good i might call it exciting right but it's a fantastic it, it feels like a very strange adjective outside of the alliteration well and it, right it, there's the alliteration going on but yeah it's not it, it it's it's hard to hear the term fantastic without kind of hearing you know stanley's it's fantastic you know but back then i think that it's possible that just sort of the same way that uncanny you know 
had connotations that suggested, like if you if you look at H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's essay on uh, the supernatural and literature, his definitions of things like uncanny and fantastic have nothing to do with the upbeat and more to do with the sense of inspiring a certain amount of awe and dread, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so anything else you want to say about one or should we pop on to two? Let's pop on to two, Mm -hmm. uh, which starts with what is a great fake out? Yes. That you could only do in a second issue. Yeah, And absolutely. after that first issue, which is, oh, the Fantastic Four all bastards. Yes, yes. And, well, and the great thing about it is that opening sequence, you've got the thing, like, swimming up and sinking a fucking, you know, oil rig. You've got Sue Storm, like, stealing a gem. And you've got, you've got Human Torch just being an enormous dick. And melting a priceless statue. Oh, and the F- and Mister Fantastic turning off the power in the city. And what? Which can we talk about? How he starts off power in the city. He literally stretches his arm. Yeah. Into some office somewhere. It just flips the switch. Yeah. I love that. I yeah. Love that so much. I want to turn off all the power. Oh, well, here. Okay then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is something that's great because it is such a. Um, it is the way they appear really is not dissimilar from the way they appear in the first issue. That's just it. If this is the second time you're seeing these characters, yeah. you're like, you have this element. And I had this element as a reader. No. Mm-hmm. With the second page being like, what's going on? Right. <laughs> you know, what was there a point where they were where they would do this? Right. Right. You know. And and it is kind of like, huh, it'd be sort of interesting if they went that it it's yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, the other we, thing we, that I we, love, sorry, is is the fact that the Fantastic Four are I have safe houses in this issue. Yes, you know yes, that's that's the other thing that is amazing. So the it the issue opens with a fake Fantastic Four who revealed on the fourth page to be Skrulls mm-hmm. um, doing these dastardly deeds, mm-hmm. but then it cuts from that to the Fantastic Four in. Uh, an isolated hunting lodge. Yeah. Where they are just hanging out, being isolated hunting lodge people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, why Why are they there? Because yeah. they're clearly already hiding out. Yeah, they're hiding out, but this is where you hide out. You hide out in this hunting lodge. But I mean, it's like, and while they're there, like Johnny's handling a rifle and Ben's like losing his shit and throwing, you know, a bear head out a window. I mean, it's which, really... Which is, again, so wonderful. So awesome. There was a bare head out a window. And then later, he they end up at one of the Fantastic Four's secret apartments later. Yes. Like, yes. you know, and, and, and I have to say, there's a way in which, for me, there's kind of the first couple of issues of the Fantastic Four. Like, it would never play ne- then, but... Uh, if if they just oh, continue if, down if this you, route, yeah. If you, you want to do your gritty reboot, then, yeah, that you it's all there in the first couple of, of issues. Here's yeah. the thing, though, mm-hmm. it's also very reminiscent of the Hulk, which they're doing at the same time. Yes, which again is here, superheroes, they're fucking terrifying. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally, totally. I, um, and again, like the Hulk. And this this plays into later on in, in the issues we're talking about today. There's a, a military presence. Mm-hmm. There's the idea that humanity is scared 
and has made plans to deal with the Fantastic Four. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you've got a story that's literally called the Fantastic Four meet the Scrolls from Outer Space. Uh, the the actual interaction. Well, the first chapter's called that, Jeff. Oh, uh, well, don't you think the whole story's chapter, called that? Uh, I, I take all of these things as being chapter titles. Mm, interesting. Okay, well, that will explain the amazing run on prisoners of titles that come up later but uh <laughs> but yeah i i'm 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 fascinated by how much other business there is in this it's sort of like again big drama the ffr immediately they're being hunted you know the things loosen as shit chat part two is called prisoner of the scrolls but it's really about them you know they've already been sort of taken in captured by the army and they have to break out of an army base which again is just that is an, not an the army, sort of yeah an army base where all of them have specially constructed cells yes so mm -hmm. this is not you know let's just go after the fantastic four now there's mm -hmm. definitely an implication or a reading at least yes that the army have been thinking about this for a while right right that's actually a really good point um although considering how easily they break out. Exactly. I'm like, eh. Well, exactly. They're, they're, they break out pretty much by going, what if I use my powers really hard? Yes, exactly. exactly. All of them. Yeah. And it's, it's Sue Storms, especially, is yeah. really funny. Yeah. What if I turn invisible so they think no one's here, and then I'll just walk past them? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yes, it's like, okay, now remember, if the invisible girl, if you look in and she's not in the cell... That means she's escaped, and you must immediately exactly open the door. Go you for God's sake! Open the door really wide and say, "What's this?" Yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. Well, where is she? <laughs> hey, what? <laughs> um, one thing that I forgot. Well, okay. So what what's interesting is is that it's only issue two where Stan and Jack get jokingly meta referential. And Reed, who, you know, after after they find the scroll, scroll imposters who have been imitating them, um, they manage to jump into the rocket that's concealed as a water tower, which is a touch that I absolutely adore. Fly back up to the scroll ship, posing, you know, as their own imitators and saying like, yeah, you're just never going to be able to beat this planet. It's, it's impossible. And here's some pictures of everything that will happen if you do. And of course, Reed's thinking like, ah, I pray he doesn't suspect they're actually clipped from strange tales and journey into mystery. And it's like, oh, you guys. I mean, it's the but great... Also, yes. what? Yeah, the right. scrolls cannot tell the difference between a drawing and a photograph. I love that. And the scrolls flip it over. Who is this Charles Atlas fellow? And why does he want... Why is he flexing at me? Yeah, no, it's totally kind of... Uh... Why does he look more realistic than these monsters you're showing me? <laughs> It's almost if these were hand drawn and colored by, you know, artists for minimal pay. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, even with that gimme, I also love the fact that, that the Fantastic Four had the scroll award of bravery. Like I'm kinda like, that's awesome. That is awesome. Okay, so here's another thing. I have to ask, Graham, this is this is the thing that kills me, because I do not understand. So the FF basically get captured again after sending off the scrolls and coming back down with their amazing, you know, scroll medal of bravery. 
then they have to go and catch in order to prove to the army that they're legit they go and capture the imposters that they've kept chained up in their apartment building um who then basically you know reed is is put in charge of dealing with them and uh and it comes the classic well beloved you know every everyone wants to do this story uh the 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 follow up to this story the scrolls are turned into cows hypnotized and put out into a field um and left to bother how nobody. else do you deal with an alien invasion whenever possible you have to hypnotize them make them think that they're another animal and just leave them out there okay what i don't get is what happened to the fourth scroll Did they actually you... say do they in the dialogue the fourth one is on his way to another galaxy now with the rest of his invasion fleet Oh, is that wise? Wait, yes. why? How did they put him up? That what? Why did they do that? <laughs> is that that's I, just a villain thing that they came up with afterward, right? Yeah, he... I th- I think it's something where the uh, Lee realized that there was only three aliens. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because it because it makes no sense. Yeah, it's totally weird. Thank you for catching I, that. Because I I, like... I I have another question though. Mm-hmm. So, the Fantastic Four captured the Skrulls. Yes. And they tie them up and leave them in their apartment. Yes. Good then plan go for shape get, changers, yeah. man. Like, well, that's mm-hmm. just it. Then when they go and get them, yeah. the scrolls are like, oh, we've changed it to all these other shapes. You'll never take us alive, coppers. Yeah. Why didn't they do that earlier? You've tied us up. Why don't we just change shape into something smaller? You than know what? Controls? It's the sad fact of the matter is the scrolls who are, you know, these amazing, you know, evil invaders of the galaxy, they clearly don't know how to open doors. It's not That's until that it, one police guy opens like, the door. The, the policeman just opens the door in the attack. So obviously tying up didn't yeah. make any difference. Yeah. The scrolls could not work out how a lock worked. Yeah. They just can't figure it out. And if the windows are closed, forget about it. So yeah, no, it's, it, it, there is a, there, there are so many great Great continuity goofs here. Also, yes. No, 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 no. We have to talk about what the scrolls say before they get changed into cows. Oh, yes. That's pretty awesome, too. We hate being scrolls. We'd rather be anything else. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> why? Wait, if that's your, if that's how you feel, why did you do all this shit earlier on in the story? Why what? did you suddenly hate being a scroll? Yeah, no. What's totally. that all about? Yeah. Er- earlier on the story, you were the one being like, "We will kill these humans." Look at me; I pretended to be invisible woman. Sorry, invisible girl. <laughs> She's not a woman yet. What That's am I right. saying? Exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's a fantastic, no pun intended, ending to the story. Mm-hmm. It, it, where all of a sudden, again, you get to the last page, the story is nowhere near done. Yeah, no, no, and you at just all. hurriedly wrap it up. Yeah. What are we going to do with these aliens? We'll hypnotize them in a panel. And they're okay with it because they don't want to be scrolls anymore. They don't want to be aliens. We're yes. done. Okay? Yeah. Jack, I don't know why you fucked me with this last page again, but come on. Ned's issue, you better not fuck me with the last page shit. Or re- I'm going to replace you. Yeah. Steve Ditko can draw issue four. That's right. That's And he's just itching for it, let me tell you, because there's, there's a lot of stuff that he has to say about... <laughs> about everything about everything god bless him so uh yes so so yeah so yeah you get to issue three Mm -hmm. and you've had two issues of basically fear yes you've had two issues of lee and kirby doing a superhero story that is really a monster story yeah yes um and, and 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 ignoring 
the trappings of superheroes as they existed. There's no costumes. There are code names, but they don't even really use them. Yeah. Um, and in fact, in the first issue, they're they're introduced by their real names and not by their code names. That's right. That's right. Um, and so it's it's a it's not really a superhero title. Mm-hmm. And then you get to issue three. Right. And the very cover of issue three mm-hmm. is like, oh, we're a superhero comic now. Yes, exactly. We we are the greatest comic magazine in the world, which I think is this it, is the first time it gets used, right? In this great collector's item issue, this is on the cover. Mm-hmm. You will see for the first time the amazing Fantastic Car, the colorful new Fantastic Four costumes, and other startling surprises. Mm-hmm. Also, learn the secret of the Fantastic Four skyscraper hideout. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like all of a sudden, and the first page as well, the first uh, panel has the Fantastic Four in as opposed yes. to just the, 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 the name of the story or the name of the chapter. That's right. That's right. It's like all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're doing this as a continuing book, aren't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, we, we just realized that. We should get our shit together. Well, what I, th- what I find is fascinating, too, is the way in which... Uh... Well, they're, they're, okay, so yes. So once again, the Fantastic Four are just figures in a crowd. And I, I don't remember if this is the last time it happens. Admittedly, it's not an outside, out uh, out on the street crowd. They're actually in the audience watching the Miracle Man perform his very crazy miracles, um, which he then goes on to show up Ben Grimm, <laughs> which is great. Uh, but what is fascinating is, the to me, it's kind of like it's, you know, a little bit of the last time that they are these kind of anonymous figures and i have to say for me again this may be something that sort of comes back in a way with x-men but the idea that the fantastic four start off as these just there's something that's very inherently urban about the way the fantastic four are always associated with the city and with crowds in a big way you know the anonymous crowd we're not sort of talking about the Weisinger-esque super like everyone's gathered at the charity event to see Superman like you know perform some super feats to raise money for charity this is very much the Fantastic Four are of the crowd and the crowd yes, itself they, they has are a, the audience yeah exactly exactly they're they're not the performers but again even in this first part of the comic in the very first page Lee specifically is moving away from that because mm-hmm. he in, Miracle Man introduces the characters not by their first names. That's right. He introduces them as Mr. Fantastic, the invisible girl, the thing in the human torch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you've already got this depersonalization happening. Yeah. Yeah. Which it, then continues throughout the issue when they get their costumes. Yes. Yeah, there's there's a fascinating way in which Lee and Kirby get to have their cake and eat it too, in the sense of, uh, be, because this issue is is fabulous for just, for example, the way that it handles the costumes. I mean, I love the fact that technically the Fantastic Car pops up before the Fantastic Four's outfits do. You know, you get that, you get that amazing, great little cutaway of the Baxter building, even though it's not named. And then by the time that... They Sue gives them their costumes. Those costumes are actually not shown in any kind of dramatic way at all. You know what I mean? No, not at all. And in fact, 
the first time you see Reed in costume, mm -hmm. he's covering himself up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You and know? I, you know, I can't even, where is this? I'm trying to find the first panel of the Human Torch in costume. Yeah, the first panel of the Human Torch costume is on page 10, and all you see is his back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there is no costume reveal. Yeah. No, no, exactly. There's no the close. There's no costume reveal. I adore the fact that apart from seeing the mask that is supposed to cover Ben's face, that you see her lower on on him, and then you don't even see his costume before he he rips it up. And so there is something that is kind of great that they are so downplaying. Like everything else, you know, would have the. Here's the shot of them with, you know, the the dynamic lines kind of going away, you know, kind of maybe an exactly. eagle. Exactly. Here, here they are standing with their hands on hips. Exactly. You know, yeah. I love these costumes you've come up with. And it's like a full page splash or double page splash. Yeah. You'd, right. you'd have now. And in this, it's pretty much like, oh, you know, shit, sure, costumes. We're, we've got stuff to get on with. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a couple of things here. One of which is you can argue that you don't need that splash because you've seen the costumes on the cover. Uh, sort of. Yeah, you could argue that. Uh, in fact, <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, I, I'm not convinced. No, 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 no. I, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I think you could definitely make that argument. Mm -hmm. The other is you have Lee making fun of the costumes within this issue. Yes. When the thing calls them the monkey suits. Yes, exactly. So I think I think what's great is is like I said, there's a oh we're gonna have our cake and eat it too. We're giving them yeah. costumes, we're gonna splash them on the cover, but inside the story we're going to have, you know, Ben Grimm literally talk about how stupid they are and tear him tear him off himself at the first opportunity. Mm -hmm. So you yes. know Yeah, pretty awesome. Something else that is really interesting to me about this issue is that they go from the outsiders. Mm -hmm. uh, the first two issues, the feared, the, you know, the, the army of fucking built cells for them. The National Guard launches nuclear missiles after them. Yeah. To not only people who can go, who can go out in public and be recognized as celebrities by the performer. Yeah. But people who own a building. Yes. And right. on the third page of the story, not only own the building, mm -hmm. but have multiple vehicles in there, yeah. including a fucking rocket. Yeah. Like, yeah, they yeah. go from being the outsiders of the first couple of issues to being, if not the establishment, mm -hmm. but definitely more of a, an authority figure, an authority base. Yeah. Which I think is really, really interesting. And is it, it just continues. I mean, there's, I want to say it's maybe issue five, when you first see the Fantastic Four being treated as celebrities and the, the public loving them. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. really, really soon. And it's such a switch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you it, it is it it is it is a switch. Actually, well, one of the things that I love is um, the character, the breakout character, fantastic breakout character. That, as far as I know, maybe we'll find out like in three hundred issues. John Byrne devoted a whole story to him. Is the amazingly dickish police commissioner who totally berates Reed Richards. It's so good. You know, he's like, I'm disappointed in you, Reed. You almost had him when he, then he slipped through your fingers. And, and, and Reed says, I'm, I'm sorry, commissioner. And he's like, sorry, is that the best answer I can get from Mr. Fantastic? And I'm just like, wow, what a dick. Like, I'm, I'm just like, well, I, but again, what is going on in Stanley's life? That that's what authority figures are like. Oh, yeah. Well, you know? uh, yeah, exactly. Well, this is the thing. I mean, you know, what I think is fascinating is before. For the authority figures become 
before before the FF become authority figures, before they become the darlings of authority figures, there is an incredible sense of outsiderness that that just borders on the line of distrust, distrust of the authorities, and of course the authorities' distrust of them. You know, yes, and, and that is it's it's again it's it's hard to imagine how revolutionary I think that must have seemed back in the day for, especially for a superhero comic, you know, there, there's something I want to say about the changing dynamics of who the fantastic four are within society. Mm -hmm. And it's, I can't remember if I read this on the, have you seen the the website that tries to argue that the fantastic four as a series is the great American novel? Yes. I was going to reference it because I, I suspect it's going to be one that we will, give lots of shout outs to as well yeah the, it's, it's it's fascinating but is he the one who makes the argument that the fantastic four changed their position in society because lee and kirby were changing their position as they found success in with the fantastic four hmm. that, that their position they start as outsiders upstarts people right. who are not to be trusted and then as fantastic four the comic becomes successful right. so do the fantastic four become successful it would be. It I mean, totally stuck with me. That idea yeah. totally stuck with me as I was reading this. I, I would have to see how it maps. I'm not sure that, unfortunately, that I entirely buy into it. You know, I mean, there is a way in which, um, well, there's a couple of different factors here for me. Part of it, part of it is, is that I think that having characters who are outlaws or outcasts it has a tendency to um, both make your narratives like so much the same, or it makes, it gives you a lot. It always gives you a hurdle to actually get over before you can actually get to the threat. As we see in this, with the issue with the scrolls, the FF just can't get to the scrolls. They have to have two separate encounters with the authorities with a lot of like, no, 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 trust us. This is really going on kind of situation. So mm-hmm. I, my personal theory is, is that just about every superhero, this goes from Superman, Batman on, you know, unless it is absolutely kind of like the Spider-Man core of their gimmick, and even Spidey, this is switched on. So many heroes start as crazy outcasts. Uh, yeah, and, untrustworthy. Yeah. yeah, And the next thing you know, like within a year or two, they're, you know, drinking tea with the commissioner and talking about, you know, all the all the agitas that they're getting from, you know. Dr. Doom or whatever. Also, I think there's a strong element since we did the Avengers read through of Lee's way of taking characters that may not be doing anything or may not be looking dynamic and just blowing ridiculous amount of smoke up their ass, you know, is very, I think it's very hard for him to have, true outcast characters you know like there's a there's always a little bit of like he's the most dynamic commanding person i've ever known kind of thing you know yeah and i think let's let's just throw some terrible psychoanalysts on the (laughs) oh please but it is is does that not come from stanley's own desire to basically be the most popular person in the room yes yeah i think so I, i i think that even when stan stan in other words Stan's conception of characters as underdogs is very uh, half-hearted. 
You know what I mean? Because he does have that, like, no, 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 we really do. We, we, we want to have them loved. And even, you know, in early issues of Spider-Man, you can have situations where Spider-Man is feared by the authorities, but all the kids want to be like him. You know, it's like the teenagers who really know what's going on think that Spider-Man's the best, you know? <clears throat> and in fact, later on, we see here the difference between the Fantastic Four freaking everyone the fuck out to they're walking down the street and kids are like playing Fantastic playing Four. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's within the first, you know, it's within this first year. So it's, it's a really tight period of time. The, the turnarounds is amazing. The, yeah. the speed of the turnarounds of, you know, nobody trusts us to, we are the most beloved people in New York City. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's very, very fast. And, it, and it's fascinating because it is the, that latter image is the image that that sticks with the Fantastic Four and that we do remember. But looking at the letters pages, there's a little bit, more than a little bit, of the people who are writing in who really feel, who identify more with the idea that the Fantastic Four are not phonies, you know? And it's fascinating to see how that changes. Once they become fans and they're rooting for them, that's one thing. But, you know, characters like the Hulk and Spidey and the FF are very much, you know, at least as a 10-year-old or might define, you know, counterculture, you know, <clears throat> and, and that, of course, ends up being picked up by the genuine counterculture as the genuine counterculture ends up sort of picking up its own steam. So, so let's, because you've just brought it up, let's talk about the fact that this issue has the first letters page. Yes. Um, and there's three things in particular I want to say about the first letters page. Mm -hmm. One, the letter from Alan Weiss. Mm -hmm. who went on to become a comic artist, right? I'm not... I wasn't sure if that was the same Alice. I, I don't Weiss know if it not. is, but yeah, I, exactly. I think it is, because didn't he come from Las Vegas? Uh, I think it would make sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, secondly, Saul Brodsky, writing the last letter of the issue, <laughs> is hilarious. Yeah. Um, dear editor, are you the same one who puts out Strange Tales, Tales to Astonish, Journey into Mystery, Tales to Suspense, Amazing Adult Fantasy, and a lot of Westerns like Kid Cold Outlaw, and teenage titles like Patsy Walker? Also, Patsy Walker misspelled. I love that. Yeah, that's if great. If so, how do you do it? S. Brodsky from Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. It's so great. Mm -hmm. Oh, the answer is, by the way, with great difficulty. In yes. Case you're wondering, listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's such a great plug. I, I, looking at it from today, so obvious because we know that Saul Brodsky worked in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But I can totally imagine kids at the time being like, oh, my God, he does all these other comics? Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. And the last thing I want to point out is the note that follows that, which is, for me, the first sign of Stan Lee as I know him yes. in these comics. Mm -hmm. The note goes, we've just noticed something. Unlike many other collections of letters in different mags, our fans all seem to write well and intelligently. We assume this denotes that our readers are cut above average, and that's the way we like them. Yeah. It's, oh, it's wonderful. And also, just this reminder that Stanley is the most terrible brown noser. Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like offensively so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I read that, out, my skin crawled. I was like, no, don't try so hard. It's horrible oh, for all of God. us. Yeah, that is, that is, that is the best. Stanley's ability to pander. Um... Who knew that Never those fails. talents... It's, it's his Fantastic Four. It is. Power. It's his special power. Is there anything else we need to say about issue three? Because issue three as a story is fairly run-of-the-mill. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that I think that honestly, for me, uh, it doesn't particularly. Let me let me look at my notes. Um, <laughs> I, I I love that again. The story just wraps up terribly, where it's like you're hypnot. But again, but at least it doesn't do it in the last page. It's the last two pages. Well, thing. true, but it's like your Kirby has learned to pace himself slightly better. Your hypnotic power is gone due to the torch's almost blinding flash. I mean, come on. So, um, <laughs> but I do love that. Um, it's like something out of The Simpsons, or it's a mad, mad world where. The the Miracle Man has stolen an atomic tank, and the FF jump into a jalopy, you know, where at one point the wheel falls off, and Mr. Fantastic replaces himself as a wheel until he catches up. Yes. Uh, I, I do love that they make a point of saying that they're antique racing cars. Yes, antique racing cars. <laughs> like, they make a point of saying yeah. the best way to catch him up is to ditch this helicopter. <laughs> Get into these antique racing cars and go after them. Oh shit, our wheels fall out. Hey, stretchy guy, why don't you just turn yourself into a tire? Seriously, I just want to see that's like that's the sequence that should be in this upcoming Fantastic Four movie. Like that sequence should happen literally, and there should be wacky. There should be um, there should be music going. exactly. If they can't get a Henry Mancini score, just put yakety sax in there because that is. The best sequence. That is the most goofy action sequence. But yeah, apart from that, uh, for me, the the FF as like a comic, um, really, it's when I read issue four that I was yes. like, yes. holy issue, shit. Issue four is, is very fantastic four. And I have a strange story about issue four. Yes. I read issue four as a reprint mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid. I, I really young kid. This might have been the first Fantastic Four comic I ever read. Holy shit! Because there was a reprint of this in. Uh, they did this. I I have no idea why they did this, mm-hmm. but they did. Uh, as you know, Marvel UK did a lot of of reprints and a lot of black and white comics. Right. And at some point, some distributor basically bound a bunch together mm-hmm. into a paperback book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was a random collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was an issue of Rampage, which was a Defenders reprint title. Wow. Uh, there were two Star Wars issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a Fantastic Four issue, which reprinted this issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I read this when I was like, I'm going to say probably four years old. Wow. Holy shit, Graham. That's and amazing. So this is the first Fantastic Four story I ever read. You know, this is interesting. And I didn't, I didn't remember that at all until I until read you it. read it because it, it's so funny you mentioned that because I myself also had the I I had read this issue in full when I was a kid. It wasn't my first Fantastic Four issue. Um, Marvel uh, was notorious for reprinting everything all the time, and so I think what eventually became Marvel's greatest comics. Uh, started off as like I don't even remember the name of the reprint book, but it it was usually a full issue of the FF, you know, a uh, a Doctor Strange story, some other eight pager like an Iron Man story, and then usually some comic from like the forties, and like God help you, the Angel if you were unlucky. But I remember I read this. And and I had read it a few times, and I I don't I'm trying to remember like I sort of feel like it might have been recolored and reprinted in one of Stan Lee's like 
like Son of Origins or one of the original of Marvel comic series. Like maybe bring on the bad guys. I don't exactly know. All I know is like reading, like just opening this up and looking at the cover to number four. Something about that cover and the way Kirby has drawn the Submariner. I I just felt this amazing this huge sense of, of nostalgia, like it was beyond nostalgia. It was beyond deja vu. It was kind of like this thing of like, like, like it almost happens in dreams. Like, Oh, right. I love this issue. I, yes, exactly. I know this. Yeah. I'd, I'd exactly. It's so strange that it was this issue mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for both of us. Yes. And also so strange that it was issue four. Yeah. Yeah. That it's issue four. And of course, for people following along via the GIT core, this is the issue that is signed by Maybe, Jack Kirby by on Kirby. the inside. Yeah. yeah. So it's like yeah. having a weird, having an original. So, so what we're saying is issue four of the original Fantastic Four run is a magical comic book. Exactly. Perhaps unsurprisingly. <laughs> it's, it's basically what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Considering it's, it is issue four, the Fantastic Four, uh, it, it seems a little simplistic. But it absolutely, totally is. This book is, it's, it, I don't know, we've got a lot of issues to go, but I'm very much like, oh yeah, this is among my favorite issues. Like, this issue ranks up there with when Kirby and Sinnott really get get it, get get it get going. It yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, until then, this is right up there. Here's the thing, for me, this issue is also incredibly Kirby. Yeah. The the opening it has the Fantastic Four splitting up to go and look for the, the Human Torch, or the, the uh, Reed, Sue, and Ben splitting up yep. to go and find uh, Johnny, who is who left the team in the previous issue. Yeah. Um, and there's something about the individual characters looking for Johnny that is amazingly Kirby too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and very New Gods era Kirby. Uh, there there's something about the the portrayal of youth culture, mm-hmm. but also the goofy comedy that's there. Yes. The the gag about Sue Storm drinking the soda while invisible yeah. and the guy next to her going, Whoa? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is just a certain level of goofy that I'm like, oh, that's prime Kirby for me. Yes, exactly. And you see, you see the faintest sliver of that with the exchange with Sue and the cab driver back in the first issue. But this is definitely blown out that those those pages not not just sue because we've seen her do something wacky like that but the idea that reed's idea of actually you know asking about johnny is like i'll just grab this dude off a moving motorcycle and be like hey you see johnny storm it's like what kind of lunatic are you reed you know so also he's so great he yanks him off a moving motorcycle yeah and then says, I'm real enough, son, but if you don't know where Johnny's arm is, I have no more time to waste with, yes, with you. Exactly. You're the one who built him off the bike. You're the dick. You know, which again is that great thing. I do love that Stan Lee's just sort of the same way to psychoanalyze, as we found out on the Avengers, Stan when Stan Lee has someone bust an authoritative move, they are such a dickhead. Like it's just in amazing, like just how absolutely wrongheaded. Like it, it's a good thing from reading Sean Howe's Marvel Comics The Untold Story that you know that Lee really wanted to have a family feel to the bullpen. That the that the that the bullpen was more than just hucksterism that he created in the bullpen pages it was a sort of dream of a fantasy that he he really wanted 
you know, and thank God because the scenes where dudes break out their leadership maneuvers, they are just such awful martinets that you're like, ugh, man, I'd hate to see Stan. I'd hate to work for Stan Lee on the wrong side of a hangover, you know? Um, but that's, I do love also in this because having read that this is the first time that I've read this issue as a facsimile reprint that after Ben finds Johnny and I love the fact that of course Ben finds Johnny because he's really the only one who's clued in enough to actually accurately hunt him down but he turns back into Ben Grimm like Johnny pretty much is like okay I'm gonna get out of here before you like turn back into you know you idiot and right below Ben turning back into a thing and doing a self-pitying thing there's this weird what is the Hulk that is a which is there earlier in the issue as well, so the third, uh, second and third page. Oh, is it second and third? The Hulk is coming, and who is the Hulk? Oh, yeah, that's and right. And then, then you have what is the Hulk? You've never seen anyone like the Hulk. Yeah, sorry, I thought I missed that. I rem I had forgotten about the one on the top of who is the Hulk. But looking at it now, I'm just like, man, that's so um, hilarious and intrusive and metacomic. But yeah, you've never seen anyone like the Hulk. So then when. Johnny, and again, like you said, this issue is so Kirby. When Johnny goes into the Bowery and Kirby draws the fucking shit out of the Bowery, doesn't he? It's just... Oh, holy crap, yes. Oh, my God. It is just... That is not a place that you want to end up. And also, it is a place that 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 Kirby's got a, an amazingly good sense of. You know, people selling cars, you know, selling clothes out on the street... Bum sitting yeah, around. It's, it's more realistic than anywhere else it's been in this mm -hmm. series so yeah, to date. Absolutely. It is the, the most fully realized place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Johnny goes there to hide out from everyone in in a very not necessarily sensible idea. He, he checks himself into basically an SRO to hang out. And in the course of reading an old comic book, um, because of course he's reading an old comic exactly. book again we're back in the meta yeah. he's reading a comic book from the 40s and then he just happens to meet the character yeah exactly you know the, the, the mysterious bum with the beard and no memory who the vagrants want to try and you know fuck up just to sort of show him off turns out to be an amnesia ridden submariner and Wait, which before we, we sort of skip into the plot part the, uh, for people reading along the final three panels on page nine. Yeah. The I said, go away, all, all of you, mm -hmm. where the Submariner is beating up the people who were bothering him, basically. Yes. But all you see are the people being punched. You don't see the punch. Mm -hmm. You only see their response to it. Yes. With pow, wham, and bam, mm -hmm. massive lettering, is the greatest sequence of panels. Yeah. Like... That's pop art right there. It absolutely is. You know, yeah. it's like that's the invention of it right there. Yeah. Yeah. This this is the sort of shit that Jean Luc Godard was like gonna rip rip off as, as much as he could with his dramatic jump cuts. Just brilliant. Um yeah, I there there is so much that is poppy in this. I mean, it is a weird tone. It is this issue is still unsettling, you know. Um uh, basically Johnny takes the amnesiac submariner, flies him out to the ocean and drops him into the water, correctly thinking that it will bring back the submariner's memory. The submariner goes back to his 
undersea kingdom and finds it all destroyed, radioactive and glowing, and with all of his people gone. Uh, and he comes back to swear vengeance and, and of course chides Johnny for, for thinking like, you think you did a good deed. No, you've fucked everything. I'm going to fuck up everyone's shit. It's still a ridiculously, again, this is a very uneasy approach, um, to superheroes. Like it's, even though this is like sort of, you know, the most superhero issue that we've had and man, there's some awesome stuff coming. Um, it's it's still it is a very it's still an impressively disquieting book you know it's it's very interesting to look at these early issues and see them see the tonal shifts Mm -hmm. and this issue really is uneven yeah so you have the, the the legitimate horror of the submariner goes back to his home to find it has been destroyed Mm -hmm. it has been utterly destroyed is it, this will obviously be recon later mm-hmm. but is uninhabitable yeah. because it is radioactive um and he comes back and he swears revenge and that is horrible and that is you could you can empathize and you can you can feel that that feels like a legitimate motivation right and then he's like i'm going to call up a giant fucking whale called Giganto. Oh God, I love Giganto. He's not just. No, but you know, yeah, no. No, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like you go from like this, this you do go from the sublime to the ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the space of like two pages. But see, but to me, you go back again. So this is so, and this is my. When you say that this issue is like Kirby, I totally agree. But because I think that Kirby is less concerned about tonal consistency it, it, certainly at this oh, stage Kirby of his is career always in the moment yeah he's always, always in, the, in moment. the moment you know and it's only i think later that he sort of gets a i don't know you know that those moments sort of become semi-consistent but he his move here like you said it starts out with comedy it goes to kind of a surprisingly gritty little bit of business with them in the bowery then it's like lots of radioactive rubble then there's the fucking whale with hands um and and again the fan, the ff are barely there it becomes a full on monster comic again until the amazing sequence and i i i realize how amazing again that sequence that just stuck in my brain forever it's the thing with the atomic bomb on his back right the atomic bomb on his back and somehow also the flashlight the fact that he walks into the open mouth like giganto is just chilling i i happen to think that again there's this weird thing where the submariner blows his horn and is like he's not moving fast enough i've got to get him to go to shore this will do it. He'll follow the sound of the horn anywhere. And like Giganto basically turns and crashes out on this, this buildings and then just basically hangs out, which I sometimes wonder. I, I, I always thought he was just asleep. I always thought like he passed out and that's why he crashes. See, that it... I do think that he did pass out, but I think that that was something where the Submariner is, is doing something for some reason. You know what I mean? Like maybe the motivation isn't clear, so so Lee just threw it out. But I sometimes wonder if, particularly because Namor is supposed to be more of an anti-hero than actually a villain, 
that there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, let's let's have him chill out for now or something. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really make sense any other way anyway, but there is a scene. Monstro falls down, lies there with his mouth open. And so to me, in one of the best sequences that is really just two or three pages long, I mean, it's not even two full pages. The thing walks inside chapter five, return to the deep with an atomic bomb strapped on his, on his back. And he walks past the ruins of all those ancient vessels, which had fallen victim to Giganto long ago. That, that panel of him in of the thing walking in the foreground and all these in dis- silhouettes. Oh yeah. God. With a, an atomic bomb on his back. Mm-hmm. And- oh, see, while I agree, the fight with the monster. Yes. Uh, the, the first, the top three panels on the, on the next page. Yes. With the tick, tick, tick yes. getting louder to the point where the last panel is just the sound effects of the ticks and the thing running away. Yes. Is just amazing. Yeah. See, so that's it to me. This, These two pages are so ridiculously strong and evocative. And looking at them again, I'm like, oh, holy shit. Like, this lodged in my brain, you know, like, like the edge of a broken knife. And yet I totally yeah. forgot about it. And then was looking at it and I was like... That's the most amazing fucking sequence. And it's just a disposable, it's two pages in a comic that is, you know, 24 pages long. It is impossible to overstate how much a a comic book creator today coming up with that sequence would milk it for as long as they could. You know, mm-hmm. or if it popped up in a movie, that would be that would be an enormous show-stopping set piece. But with Kirby, there's a little bit of everything. For, like you said, he's in the moment. Everything that he's drawing, and especially in this issue, is the stuff that he's fired up about. You know, I mean, the story comes to a very quick sort of climax afterward. <laughs> again, again. And uh, where the torch just sort of whips up a whirlwind and blows away, like knocks out the the submariner and him and Joganto get like dropped off far out in the sea. And then he swears revenge and the torch is like, well, that's that. It's, 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 it's this kind of, there's no, there's such a lack of resolution in it. Again, this is, and this is the third giant monster that we've had in four issues. Admittedly, the Miracle Man's giant monster was an illusion in a way that makes no sense in the yes, way that reality works. Fake, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, you know, it's still a giant monster book with some amazing, like, and that's the other thing. A, a lot of this, like the Submariner, who is a perfectly capable supervillain on his own, pretty much just brings in Giganto and lets Giganto fuck shit up. Sort of the same way that the Miracle Man comes in and toodles his little horn and lets other people fuck shit up. And as we're going to see in the next issue, there's a little bit of the... I I think, to me, there's a way in which I wonder how much, you know, Lee's plotting or Kirby's plotting. They're kind of... They get the idea of a supervillain, but they're not really comfortable with a supervillain you know what i mean like a suit yeah no no very very much they're 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 comfortable with uh mad scientists and monsters exactly so if you're a mad scientist you know and better a mad scientist that can throw a monster at you then you're completely in their wheelhouse but the idea of a guy who's going to like rob banks or what you know it's just 
it's at this point, it is just something they cannot wrap their head around, which is probably why Dr. Doom in issue five ends up being so like is 95% of Dr. Doom. Like I would say that Dr. Doom is more realized in his first page of this, of issue five. Yeah, let's talk about this first page and specifically this first panel for a second. Mm-hmm. Doctor Doom appears for the first time, and first of all, his outfit is different from the traditional Doctor Doom. Yes, but Doctor Doom in his first panel is playing with chess pieces of the Fantastic Four, is standing next to a vulture, yes, and has two books that you can read the titles of. One of which is Demons, and the other one is Science and Sorcery. Yes, everything you need to know about that villain is in that panel. Oh yeah. In fact, it's such, I mean, it's the least subtle thing in fucking the world. Oh, yeah. But it's such a great panel. Well, but, and this is... He's called Doctor Doom, and that's what he reads. He's got a fucking pet vulture. Yeah, exactly. And he he sees people as pawns. Well, even, even the very next page where he's, like, coming out that amazing sort of monster movie Dutch angle panel of him, like... But now it is time for the Fantastic Four to feel my wrath. And there's lightning in the background. There's nothing that's subtle about Doctor Doom. And one of the things that is awesome about Doctor Doom is that... It's that. Yeah, is that. Is, is that they just go for it. And it's fucking glorious. There's the occasional weird choice, which I'm looking forward to talking about. But I... Yeah, he's just right there. And in fact, when you see his origin, which... Um, Reed recounts on page four, I think it, it, again, there's the whole angle of how Reed, uh, Reed's not involved in this version of the origin. He's, it's not him who, who plays a part in anything, but what I love is for the five panels that retell Dr. Doom's origin, you don't need words for any of them. You know what I mean? Like to me, yeah, you, everything is there yeah, again. Yeah, that you, you get you, again if you don't read the words, you get he's worshiping something satanic or evil. Mm-hmm. He's doing a experiment; it, it goes wrong. Yeah, he's covered he in bandages, is scarred as a result, mm-hmm. and then he disappears. Yeah, I mean, you—that's that's all you need to know. You even have the angry dean like pointing at him, like every piece though that it could be entirely silent, and it's all there. It's just some phenomenal visual storytelling i think and just a sign of uh, real confidence in the character you know um yeah i just which which is funny because i think the story itself for this issue is remarkably unconfident well because because again there's that idea of yes mm mm-hmm it immediately steers away from exactly from Doctor Doom, right? But like I said, sort of the same way that the Submariner issue steers away from Submariner, the Miracle Man issue steers away from Miracle Man. You know, they're just not the Scroll issue has as much to do with the army as the Scrolls. Like they're just they're not quite there yet. They're kind of not in this area of like. But yeah, the time traveling thing is a is a completely different. And again, I feel that that has. There's a degree of Kirby to it because you know when you Kirby comes. Oh no, back, there, there there is. Like I have I have something else to do. Whop! It, what's that? It's it's very much as I've got an idea yeah. and then he just does it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, like let's just go I, back in time. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I knew where I was going and then I got up and had a sandwich and when I came back <laughs> I thought why don't I just fucking send them back in time and make him Blackbeard instead? Yes, yes, which is amazing. Uh, it is. 
it is really like these comics have swerves that you could never ever expect oh, no. now. Oh no! If you're reading these for the first time back then, yeah, you would be, especially in this issue, yeah, you would just be, what is actually happening here? Yeah, what what is going on? And this is this is again the most fantastic four issue yet. Mm-hmm. Four four was very much, but then yes. five you get. The I mean the second page is Johnny is reading the Hulk. Yes, which was you know trailed in the last day, in the last issue. But Johnny's reading Hulk and being like, "Hey Ben, you look like the Hulk." They horse around. Yes, and it's and it's horsing around this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the 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 bitter sniping of before. Yeah, yeah, and and you have you already have the dynamic of Ben and Johnny are the kids. Yes. And Reed, uh, Reed is the father, even if Sue's not necessarily the mother yet. Mm-hmm. But Reed is the father, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you get the a death trap isn't necessarily the right phrase, but the the the, mm-hmm. the thing that breaks them out of their suburban rut. Yes, happens, and then there is a spectacular adventure. TM. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I have to say, this is the least important part of the issue. But oh my God, Doctor Doom has a shark copter in this issue, and I adore that. Did you notice that? That the yes. how can so you miss it? In, right. in a few panels, it's, it's pink. pink. It's, it's a, a pink, pink sharp copter. Shark copter, and I'm like Doctor Doom's pink shark copter. Not only is that just like the world's most amazing sexual innuendo ever, but it is, I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Like, someone's got to bring that back. That has got to be, that demands a place in the Marvel Pantheon, because it is awesome. Um, this is the issue where, because it really, like, within the first five pages, you get the Fantastic Four fan page, the first letter of which is from Roy Thomas, uh, being like, hey, I've subscribed for, I, for two years. I hope you guys are still around that long. So he... He subscribes in 62. He's work his subscription runs through 64, I would imagine, and he's working at Marvel in 65. So that's yeah. well done, Roy it's, Thomas. It's, yes, exactly. I bet you're glad you subscribed. Also, I, I don't think I mentioned <laughs> Went it. Straight from a subscription to comp comps. Exactly. Woohoo. Is I think um what issue? Is it issue four that has the issue the letter from or is it issue six that has the letter from Buddy Sanders, who of Lone Star Comics, you know, who ends up oh, becoming? Oh, I didn't. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't even know the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buddy Sanders, who ends up forming Lone Star Comics and becomes like one of the largest direct market retailers uh, in the United States, has a fan letter being like, "This is awesome." And I, it's funny. I, I thought I mentioned it. I have it in my notes. I thought, but maybe it doesn't happen until issue six. So. Or maybe I hallucinated it. Um, so yeah, wait. So so let's get back to, to the issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, well, Doctor Doom sending everyone back in time. Yes, Doctor Doom offhandedly just mentions he has a time machine. Yes, and the greatest thing is he's like, you can go and get Blackbeard's treasure for me. I love that detail. Yeah, because it establishes both that he's a genius. Yeah, and that he just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I could go and get it, but I don't want to. Yeah. I want to make you go and get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, this will come up again, I think, in the very next issue. But but Doctor Doom is – there's a lot of Doctor Doom in Kirby's Dark Side. 
I think, at least at this level, you know. At this stage, yes. Yeah. There, there's very much uh, he's evil, but he he's, convinces he, himself that he's apart from it. Yeah, he's evil, so he but doesn't... he's apart from it. And also he's a manipulator. He's never the, you know, he, he's always the, the manipulator behind the scenes, but he's terrifying in his own right, you know. So, mm. yeah, I think that's great. So, yes, he's like, send everyone back in time. They're like, hey, let's be pirates now. I, I love that they're pirates because Reed's like, we need some clothes. And the thing just outright scares people off to steal some clothes. Yes. Yes. And the very Ned Spitz, Reed Richards like, I should disguise you. So let me give you a wig, an eye patch, and a beard. Yeah. Like, what the fuck was in that trunk of clothes that, that those other people know, stole? Right? You know? It's like, huh. Thank God they had a complete pirate assembly kit. I love the fact for that, three people. Yeah, yeah. I love three the, people of very different sizes, of utterly different sizes, shapes, and stripes. I love that they're like, okay, now that we're pirates, let's go and drink and get shanghaied. You know, it's yes. oh my god. I love so much about this issue. Um, it is wacky mm-hmm. in a way that. It, the series hasn't been before. Yeah, yeah. The other, the there's, other. There's stuff. a sense of hijinks. Yeah, there it. is. There's hijinks ensuing. There's very much the this. It's the shenanigans issue. Oh yeah, definitely. Which is amazing because you get that amazing, you know, introduction of Doctor Doom, and it's so melodramatic. And then the next thing you know, you've got like Reed Richards being like, "Hey, you know, like stretching all the way up to the dude in the crow's nest just so that he can punch him." You know, it's like, that wasn't very sociable, Sailor. You know, just crazy Also, ass. Sailor. It's so yeah, nice. yeah. Or, or Johnny then melting the sword. Yes, right. Which is just, I mean, it's just goofiness. Um, and yet, in the middle of goofiness, uh, there's a weird thing that really happens, uh, and of course, that you can tell, pun, pun intended, where... Ben, after they find Bluebeard's treasure and realize that, in fact, I'm sorry, Blackbeard's treasure. And I was going to say, get your beard. I know, right? It's tough with those damn pirates, like Orange Beard, like Crazy Beard. Uh, that that they're like all hell. <laughs> no beard. No beard. No beard. Isn't that, that that sounds? Isn't that a Kirby character? I swear to God. No, it's that's... it's a it's a Morrison character it's from Manhattan Guardian. Oh yeah, thank you. Okay. I was from Manhattan Guardian. That's right. The most Kirby issue. Anyway, so there's there's a there's that thing in which Ben's basically like, I'm going to stay back here and I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be Blackbeard. I'm gonna I want to be, you know, it's like the future holds nothing for me. I'm just a monster and a freak, and here I'm somebody, and the kids are going to read about me in school, you know. And he basically has the pirates jump his teammates. And throw him in a boat, which is not the sort of shit that you would see coming from Hawkman in the Justice League of America. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty amazing stuff, that reversal. You know, um, I love... And then the way they get out of it. Well, and that's where things, to me, also get crazy. It is... Because if you think about it, it's it's not a great choice, you know, uh, Ben clearly wasn't thinking and more or less says so almost immediately. But there is something about the idea that the thing at this stage is kind of a cursed character 
You know, he is, he's literally a cursed figure. It's one thing when you get the pathos of like, oh, I'm human again. Hey, look at me. I'm human. And then it's taken away from him. It's time yeah, after I'm time. I'm human again. Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's pretty much like the, 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 the thing, yeah. the story yeah. in these issues. But I think this is the first time that you get the idea that the thing is a tragic figure. He's He is. He's a tragic figure. And it's almost in like a weird like the rhyme of the ancient mariner or the story of Job, you know, he's cursed for some reason, like very specific. Cause it's not just, he turns back into the thing this time. This is literally like, everything's going to be great. And then a storm comes out of nowhere, wipes out the entire ship and crew. Everyone barely survives. And he's like, okay, let's go back to the, you know what I mean? Very, it's, it's, um, it's a real interesting turn into like it, you know, a hint that the, the, the bathos is, is at this super high level for this character, you know, mm -hmm. and the way they go on to change that later is, is interesting. I think. I, I also love that Ben essentially washes up after a tornado hits his, his ship. Mm -hmm. And he basically says, Oh, you guys, I'm sorry. And they're like, okay, let's get going. Yeah, Totally. Totally. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty amazing. Well, and there is some stuff that's great in that, that I think is, you know, comes up really, really soon, actually, in like the next issue or two, where you see that Reed actually has been trying to, to cure Ben. Yes. And that's the point where Ben is basically like, I'm the worst fucking person ever. And I feel like it's a little <laughs> bit of a, it's a little bit of a start of a turnaround. You know, we're, we are such a long ways away from lovable Ben Grimm, everybody's buddy, you know, but, but it's fascinating if there's, there's a little bit of something that, that you could think of as modern character progression in, in these issues. Like he, he does change. Well, yeah. This is the, I think the, the last issue. And I think the specifically the, the black beard, fuck y'all. I'm going to stay here because my life is shit in the 20th century. Yeah moment is the, the last moment of maybe the thing deserves this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think in the issues up to now there's been an idea that he's like a surly yeah you know overly aggressive he's, he's not a nice guy the, yeah that he's basically he's kind of a bully you know and yeah, yeah. and and i th i think mm -hmm. that i think the the blackbeard whether intentionally or otherwise i don't think it is intentional because i don't think Either Lee or Kirby were at, thinking in terms of character arcs as such. Yes. But I, I think the Blackbeard moment is the, the, the peak of mm -hmm. maybe he, maybe he's the thing because he deserves to be the thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely an idea like he that there is something like that. And it does begin to change, I think, right right around here. Certainly, certainly I think, by... Is it issue six or is it issue seven? Um I want to say it's issue six that, that, that they come up with the maybe he's been right. Oh, maybe it's even later than that. Is it not around when the uh, when the uh, puppet master? You know what it is? I think it is. I think which, it's the puppet, which master. is like issue nine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Th this th this for issue for me is definitely the 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 end of perhaps the thing mm -hmm. should be the thing that the, the perhaps his he is externally a reflection of his. Of his, his insides. Intern. You know, actually, yeah. it's funny. Looking at my notes really quickly, I want to say that that's true. But actually, issue issue eight is the puppet master. 
Uh, issue nine is the end of the Fantastic Four, and I, <laughs> the first end of the Fantastic exactly Four. one of like six of them. But in that, there's like a page and a half in issue nine where the thing talks about turning to a life of crime. He threatens the people taking apart the plane. He bl- goads Reed until Reed threatens him, and then he like grabs a cab and spins it over his head and throws it on something for not picking him up. And that's all in a page and a half, you know. So it's so like he's in a, he's in a, having a bad day. Yeah, he's, yeah, that's it exactly. Um, captives of the Deadly Duo. This is is this uh, issue six? Yes, sorry. So issue five, Prisoners of Doctor Doom. Issue six, Captives of the Deadly Duo. We're right in the middle of the of the prisoner. Quadrology. Um, <laughs> if you if you trust me, can you be in the middle of a quadrology? Can you? I guess. Well, on the back. I don't know. Screw you, Graham. So anyway, you've got Doom so, okay. and so, the Submariner. Uh, first of all, yes. I was going to say for that, I want to point out that the opening of this issue is the first time that you see the Fantastic Four are outright celebrities. Yes. Um, you get the characters saying, Torch, a living legend that I never thought I'd see him with my own eyes. That's right. Uh, and two pages later, you get another cutaway of the Baxter building. That's right. Which at this point is finally called the Baxter this building. This is where it's named. And it is exactly. significantly different mm-hmm. and significantly larger yes. than it was before. That's right. It is now taking up four levels, whereas before I think it was just two levels. Just two, yeah, two in the roof. So, yeah, no, um, it is and fascinating. So it, it's. It's, you know, things are getting better for the Fantastic Four. Yes. One way or another, intentionally or not. Um, It's also, I feel, the first issue where you get... uh, Well, it's the first issue where you get the anti-street gang. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's also the first issue where you get the Fantastic Four at home, Mm -hmm. as I think we'd recognize them today. Yes. You get you get a scene where, you know, Reed's reading fan mail mm-hmm. and the things just sort of you know hanging out, being a jerk, mm-hmm. and there's there's something about that dynamic, and also they're all hanging around in their costumes. That's right. Um, there's something about that that seems very much like, oh, this is the Fantastic Four we move forward with. Yeah, it's a huge jump. This is a quantum leap forward. You've got, like you pointed out, the Baxter building gets its name, the photoelectric beam and the belt, which is such a, like, I'm like, that's a big chunk of mythos. Like, that pops up a lot. This issue is the first mention of unstable molecules. Um, and, of course, the Yancey Street Gang. Like, what an amazing invention is the Yancey Street Gang. You know, I mean, to me, it's like not only do you have a superhero that is, again, even even though they're being loved and adored on the one hand, you know, there's the it's being trolled. Yeah, they're being trolled. Basically, Yancey Street Gang is the 4chan of like 1963, and they're basically taunting the thing. And and he's and he is taking the bait. Like, there is kind of, it's not just, it would be one thing if you saw, like, I don't know, like, the prankster, who I think was an actual Superman villain, like, yeah, yeah. giving him, like, a cigar that explodes in his face. But for the most part, like, Superman's just kind of bewildered, and you don't have him flip the fuck out the way that the thing does. Like, there's a panel of him complaining, like, that bottom panel of page four, 
where it's the thing in profile with his mouth open, and it looks like he's about to eat Johnny Storm's entire head. And then he rolls. <laughs> uh, maybe he was. Yeah, maybe. He rolls this sheet of titanium steel into, like, basically a magazine. Is like, yeah, just, just have a, mail this back to them. There's something that is just, again, it's one of those great relationships of, like, oh, my God. Like, you have a superhero that people are trolling, and it never fails to get his goat. It's, it's yeah, it's such a great invention. Yeah, it's such a great, and again, it humanizes the thing significantly. Oh, tremendously, tremendously. I mean, it... and so you you go from the the portrayal in the first five issues, mm-hmm. which which peaks with you know fuck the lot of you, I'm going to stay in the past. Yeah, and the very next issue, he he becomes that little bit more charming because mm-hmm. he's being trolled. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm not not just because he's being trolled, but because he falls for it. Yeah, because he falls for it. Well, although I think there's a in the next issue, I think there's a, there's a point where the the very next issue he ends up like go. They're like, hey, we have to go to this awards dinner in Washington D.C. And he's like, I don't want to go out in public. All anyone does is mock me and talk about what a freak I am. And you know, he's technically not wrong. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like he's 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 on he's on point. And of course Reed's like, Suck it up, mister. I'm Martinette man, you know, but um but there really is that thing. There is a little bit of when it when it's being played for laughs, it's great. It helps take the edge off in a way that when the pathos comes along, you you can also really feel that, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Okay, so let's speed through this one because I have to admit I did not like this is a, a weak issue for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's, there really is something. I, I know it's a classic team up, but there, there's something that lessens both Doom and Submariner I, by immediately putting them together like this. Well, there's, there's a few things I think for, for one thing is the first part of the story is a, is a fantastic four at home story. As you pointed out, the second half of the story despite it looking like an FF story is really almost like a stealth Submariner reboot. You know, he gets fooled. The, the building ends up in space, which let's not even talk about what the fuck happened to the rest of the poor people in the Baxter building, since they made it a point to establish there were lots of people in the <laughs> exactly. fucking Baxter building. Yes. It wasn't like they were like, Oh, and by the way, this completely deserted building, but it becomes, it's, it's the Submariner. It's like, I'm the guy who can get you out of this. I got you into this. There's that beautiful, to me, the art sequence of him. Again, the pop art. Kirby and Submariner equals pop art, right? Because that page... Oh, are you talking about the go, go, go? Yes, page? exactly. Is That sequence is awesome. Is I adore it. But yeah, the issue itself is kind of not so hot. You know, it's like... the. Kirby, you know, it's like Submariner's like, I'm going to go along and do this thing. I've tricked the Fantastic Four. Now I'm not going to do it. Now I'm going to beat up Doctor Doom and shoot him into space. And the Fantastic Four are like, good thing Submariner was around to trick yeah, and then it, save it's, us. It's, it's reductive to everyone. Yeah. Everyone comes out, this issue's work. Yeah, this issue works. Exactly. Work. It's supposed to be this huge team up. But it really did, to me, it felt a little bit like, oh, this is like that episode of Welcome Back, Cotter that focused on Horshack. You know, it felt like a little stealth reboot to me. So... Uh, that being said, I'm not really sure that issue seven, Prisoners of Corgo, Master of Planet X, 
Oh my god, I love Prisoner of Cargo Master Oh really? It's so funny. Oh my god. It is I feel it's the end of the monster comic era. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, in part because I think they go so far mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with with uh cargo. Yeah. That they were like, maybe we should pull back on this. Yeah. Uh, it is it is an amazing story. That's right. <laughs> This, what, short, large-headed furry alien who we meet sitting in his chair watching TV next to this amazing lazy space-age Lazy Susan filled lazy with Susan. cocktail nuts. Yes. That yes. is the fucking it's best. So, he's on his shoes lounge. Yeah. Like, he's got his snacks and he's watching the Fantastic Four TV. Yeah. Spectacular. Yeah. I mean, all of that is everything that you want in a bad guy. Yes. Um, But it's... The, the plot is so hilariously specific yeah. that you're just like, were you, could you really not come up with anything better? Yeah, yeah. Their, their planet is, his planet is uh, going to be destroyed by a meteor. They have two working spaceships. Yes. So they send one to go and get the Fantastic Four to save them. Yeah, it is beautiful. <laughs> I just, I just, they're, they're everything it's about so this great. issue. I, 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 but like, the, so the spaceship pops down and is like, here's a giant, killer robots who's going to kidnap them you'd think that maybe if you had that technology you might have tried to do something about the meteor yourself but no they get the, they get the fantastic four they take them into space yeah. which is amazingly underwhelming and i get that you know we've seen the scrolls mm-hmm. and we've also the previous issue seen the fantastic four literally in space but them being kidnapped to an alien planet mm-hmm. feels so rote in this issue. Yeah, it really There's is. There's absolutely no sense of like, they're on another planet mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it is more important in this issue that they have to attend a testimonial dinner. Yes. that That's a bigger deal than them actually visiting an alien planet. Oh my God. I mean, one of the things, this, the Kirko, Prisoners of Kirgo, Master of Planet X, again, could pretty much be a Simpsons episode. Yes, it really could. Oh my especially God. with the end. Yeah. Especially with the hilarious end. Well, but even even before that, when they're like, I don't want to go to the dinner. Here's what's going to happen in my fantasy. And then it cuts back to Sue being like, yeah, then I'd go and... You know, it's like, <laughs> what the fuck kind of... I mean, there's great stuff. What page is it where the page where uh, Sue Storm kicks somebody in the ass... Do you re- did you did you catch that? Where is that page? Okay, first it's off, got to be at dinner, right? First, first off, page four. You got to go to page four for the last panel to see re- the the first appearance and last appearance of the Reed Richards power bong, which is yes. amazing. Oh, don't worry, I noticed. I knew when I saw that you would be pointing out. Oh, did you? Okay, I totally was. I, I didn't know that you'd be you'd be calling it that, but I knew that you'd be commenting on it yeah. because my thought also was, oh look. It's it's Reed Richards bong. Yeah, yeah. It That's is totally how he gets great. those wonderful ideas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, no, where no. does she kick someone you know, in the butt? Hold on, let me see. Maybe maybe I've got it wrong, and maybe it's issue eight. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's she goes it's invisible. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry fall over yeah yeah sorry 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 no that's that's not it okay so anyway yeah they they end up on the planet oh man it's they they shrink everyone down like reed's basically like here's a i've developed a shrink gas and and an expansion gas you can just shrink everyone down put them on one ship and then expand them when they get to the new planet and uh and you're set and kurt goes like great 
I'll give you the other ship. I only need the one. And then through misunderstandings, I don't understand. He He's the only person who doesn't get on his own ship um, because he's too busy clutching the expanding gas. And then, as you point out, it's got the world's best ending where Reed Richards is like, there was no expanding gas, you idiots. Exactly. Those idiots. They, they're just going to be miniature forever. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually says, "Yeah, once they reach their new worlds, it won't matter. And they're all to be the they'll same all size. They'll be the same the size. size. One size is only relative, anyway." Yeah, Reed Richards, you bastard! You fucking dick! Do you not know how bears work? You know what I mean? There's such a thing of like. Not only that, they're on a fucking spaceship that was built for them being normal size. Oh, I know. I it's don't even know. The spaceship, Dude, I know. They're yeah. I know. They just go right to the planet. Hopefully the door opens. But then there's all these like tiny people having to deal with the predators of a brand new planet. But fortunately, they're all the same size, so you don't have to worry about them pushing each other around. Yeah, that was I. I that was pretty great. Good job, Reed. Yeah, it's it's hilarious, Mister Fantastic, it, indeed. I honestly read it right. Now, I was like, this is. A mess. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. Out of out of these twelve issues, there were only two, I think, that I actually hadn't read, maybe three issues that I hadn't read. And that was one of them. And I understand, like, huh, yeah. <laughs> I I can see why this one doesn't get a lot of reprint traction. You know what I mean? So... Oh, but it shoots. Oh, but it po- should. Possibly. Oh, <laughs> Come on. Everyone needs a Planet X revival. Yeah. Because you know that Kurgo somehow survived the meteor. You know, I swear to God that they were talking about Kurgo in, I want to say, maybe that Fantastic Four Avengers annual crossover that I was reading where, like, somebody shows up. I think it, I think it is the Planet X people. Oh, my God. I really hope so. I really yeah, hope yeah, so. Yeah, I think Byrne was like, ah, oh, don't worry, guys. I got you covered. I got you covered. Uh, Prisoners of the Puppet Master. Um, another one I never read. But again, another one that's really, really loaded with important shit. Oh, huge. You get the first time that Reed is, you see that Reed is working to cure the thing. That's right. You get uh, the first Alicia Masters. You get the first Puppet Master. Uh, a spectacular uh, Fantastic Four feature page, which we've not been talking about. The pinups have been in these issues. Oh, yeah. Uh, after, after about issue three are great, first of all. But their placement is fascinating to me. Because I had always read the reprints. Mm-hmm. And so in reprints, you get the story and then you get the pinup. Yes, exactly. And I didn't realize that in the books, you get a chapter and then you get a pinup and then you get the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. 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 Which really changes the reading experience for me. Yeah. It actually does make it feel a lot more episodic. Yeah, it does. Well, that's one of the things that I think is fascinating is these chapter breaks, which I remember thinking of as just kind of a brief affectation. A... They stick, and B, there's part of me that's like, I'm fascinated by them because they're not, um, you know, there's there's really, there's no reason for them to be, but they work really well. Like, if these were being published well, as like... Some do, so, some do not. Some don't, yeah, absolutely. But a lot of them, I think, as Kirby kind of gets his speed going, like, even Kurgo, the, the Planet X, which is a stinker of a story, like... You could, if you were, like, releasing it, like, each chapter once a week on the web, you know, these these are better weekly comics than some of the DC digital stuff that I'm I'm reading, I have to say, in that regard. But again, you're essentially just saying, that giant Kirby guy. <laughs> I, I think he's got a future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, really. Let's keep an eye like, out the, on the, him. The, these Lee and Kirby Fantastic Four comics might be better than some of the current <laughs> comics I'm reading. Really? Really, Jeff? Is that what you're saying? That's a bold stance. I know. I'm really going to go out on a limb there, Graham. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, I feel it had to be said. You're not going to say it. I'm just the cautious. I'm the sort of like, you know, fire to the wind kind of guy. So sorry. Page three of Prisoners of the Puppet Master is where, again, it's like a... Laurel and Hardy silent oh, yes, comedy yes, sketch. Yes. She kicks someone in the ass, yes. Yeah, and it is... F- Which is hilariously... I Also, it. her dialogue as she does it mm-hmm. is so great. Yeah. I bet you've never been kicked by a gremlin before, wise guy. <laughs> I just... I love are that. Are you calling yourself a gremlin? <laughs> I just... I think you are. Yeah. Well, because the guy before says, yeah, what was she, a gremlin or one of the good fairies? Ha ha. So she's like, I bet you've never been kicked. And I just, I just, I love the fact that actually there is, again, it's like Sue's going to hang out while they mock Ben Grimm. But once they start making fun of the idea that she doesn't exist, then she's going to go in there. Yeah, she's like, yeah. Yeah. Screw you guys. Yeah. I'm this little girl. Exactly. This is, this <laughs> Back it up, oh, buddy. Oh man. Oh. So I love the puppet master. I'm not I'm never crazy about him as marionette guy, but uh, but this issue where he's a little more of a full-on miniatures dude where he's got a, a little, you know, New York City playset <laughs> and he pushes dudes around on oh that. God. I fucking love that. <laughs> Jeff, that makes me so happy. <laughs> That makes me so happy. You're like, listen, when he's just with his puppets, I don't get it. But when he's got like a playset for them, that that changes everything. It does. It totally does. He suddenly becomes like the best fucking character in the world. Because to me, that's just you know, it's it, there is a lot of just great stuff here, though. Yeah. That he he maybe for the first time last time. Well, definitely the first time. It's his first appearance, but. <laughs> His soul time is what I'm trying to say. Comes across as a, a legitimate threat. Yeah, yeah. No, Do you not think. Yeah, no. Like, oh, actually, absolutely. You get the feeling, and also, it's really sad that they brought him back because his ending in this issue, yes, is greatest. Yeah, I mean, I th- it is the greatest end mm-hmm. to the Papa Mask. Yeah, I think so too. And in fact, that that is kind of the thing that you're absolutely right. Reading that that the first issue this issue where it looks like he ends up falling out a window to his death because he knocked the figure of himself out yes. of out of Alicia's hands is it's just so good and also there is he's such a threat that literally by the end of it where he's like I I've set myself up as here's here I am as king and I'm going to rule everyone there's a little bit in that despite the fact that this is such an amazing magical thinking issue. Like this really is a fairy tale issue, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. Very much. And I, I think intentionally. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I think when you have him, when you have him become like a king and he's dressing like that in his fantasy. Oh yeah. I think there, there is very much uh, uh, an acknowledgement of this is a fairy tale. Well, I think to me, even earlier than that, it's not just that he's Alicia's father. He's the stepfather. You know what I mean? And that strikes me as a really important fairy tale distinction that happens a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, all the way across the board. But there is a little bit, by the time you get to the end of, in this sort of magical thinking way, I was like, oh, well, really, you're screwed. There's no way you can stop the puppet master. And so for having him die, like, it really is one of those things where I wish they had come back and had, had brought in the puppet master's brother or something like that. You know? Yeah, exactly. That they hadn't actually just said, oh, he's okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. Because it's it's such a great end. Yeah. Because, and, and one of the first issues to pace itself properly. Yes. It ends at exactly the right speed. Yeah. You really do have the sense of like, oh shit. Right. There's nothing they can do. He's right. Mm-hmm. Like, he actually can do everything he's saying he can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's an accident that defeats him. Yes. And having the... I think it's actually the last uh, line of dialogue in the book. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, is is a character, and I think it's the uh, Reed Richards. Yes, saying, "I wonder if we'll ever really know." Over the puppet, over the broken puppet of the puppet master. Yeah, yeah. Just feels so right mm-hmm. in in terms of a, the way to end that story. Yeah, completely, completely. That little tiny figure of a man, you know, it's oh, it's just so good. What's great is is that the puppet master is closer to being a supervillain in the supervillain sense. Um, yes. Finally, that you know, you're getting like eight issues in. It's like, oh, hey, here's here is a supervillain. Admittedly, he's his powers are magical and nonsensical. The the logic of the story is dreamlike, you know. But it works. It, it just, it does. It, it all ends up working, which is pretty great. So, and, and then he flies off on a jet-powered winged flying horse puppet. Just bananas. <laughs> just bananas. There's just so much, like, you gotta, you gotta come to these issues being ready and willing to love the crazy. Because there is so much crazy here, you know? Oh, yeah. And also ready and willing to go with it wherever it goes. Yeah. Exactly. Because because it, it very much is, we can do anything. Mm-hmm. Oh shit, we can do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's lovely. I realize how much it it opens up just a, a few issues later than this, even more with that idea of like, oh right, we we really can do whatever we want. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you thinking about the the letters page? Oh, the, le- uh, the letters. Page? Uh, uh, no, no, no. That's um the idea that the the next issue is uh. That, that issue 13 is the Red Ghost issue, I think, right? Oh, I see. I, I, for once, I didn't even read to issue 13. Oh, see, and I, I'm just getting, I, I could be wrong. We were supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it is, though. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't read it. And that that is, again, another one of those like huge, like uneven but amazing leaps. Uh, so issue 9 is an issue, the end of the Fantastic Four, where the Submariner returns um, and has one of the best openings of a comic ever. Uh, I think um, that the first chapter or so in which it turns sub submariner in his undersea lair has television and is hanging out watching. I love how this happens with Kurgo too. Also he's, he's in his undersea lair with television and a picture of Sue storm. Oh yeah. Right. Right. Which is important because that's the same picture of Sue storm that Dr. Doom comes across in issue six both somehow the Submariner and Sue Storm both have framed pictures of one pictures, another. Pictures of each other. Yeah, which and it's not it, and it's a thing because mm-hmm. it's actually it's not just Kirby being cute. It's actually mentioned in yeah uh, in dialogue by both characters. And in fact, at one point, it's pretty much brought up as the reason she has not committed to read. That's right. That's right. It, she flat out says like, "Don't." And it's interesting for a guy who's like kind of. Again, can be mighty Martinet man. He's surprisingly like, okay, well, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, which is which is great. It does him it does him justice in a way that much of his other characterizations uh, throughout don't necessarily. You know, 
Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, so the thing, so Submariner turns on TV, finds out that the Fantastic Four are broke. I love the fact that the the the, the Namor did not drive them broke. The fact that the superheroes that they that Reed pulled a Lord Grantham over invested in stocks and then lost it all is just I I really do love that you know um, and uh, you know I I love the fact that Alicia's here in this issue after coming back like that feels like true continuity to me I think I love the panel where she. You know, basically the thing's kind of like, ah, fuck it, I'm out of here. And then when he's hanging out with her, she is like, no, you're a white knight. You're my white knight. And the panel where she, her hands are feeling his sort of... His face. His Yeah, but his 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 disaffected face, like the, the, the look, Kirby puts such a... I mean, you do have to... To me, it's like that moment of like, oh, right, like the thing is an amazing, cartooning-wise, an amazing creation because he is not... In some ways, he's sort of like a, you know, cutesy Bigfoot character that you might have, like, I don't know, like like the schmoo in Little Abner, but he's really not. He's really not. And even more amazing is the fact that he can, you can get a panel where he's sitting, where he's standing there and she's feeling his face and he's kind of, you get the sense a little bit disgusted with himself. And it's just, it's wonderful the amount of expressiveness that Kirby can do in his cartooning for a thing, you know? It's really amazing. It's it's interesting. I kind of hope that as we go on, we get a sense to sort of see how Kirby continues to develop his expressiveness with his characters. Uh, and in some ways, I feel like the, the secret to that is through Ben Grimm, because it's kind of great. Mm-hmm. Well, the, this is a great issue for Kirby in general, yeah. because you get to the, the, the get to Hollywood. Yes. And you get Kirby in full on caricature mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for two pages. Yeah. Which is, and also you get the hilarious Submariner now owns a Hollywood studio and has the cigarette holder I in his mouth. Fucking the reveal the, of that! Thing. Oh my god! <laughs> the greatest thing at your service. Yes, it's so, so, so funny. Also, very funny to me that he's gone from in the space of what four issues? Yes, he's gone from everything is wrecked, Atlantis is ruined to. Oh, and also, I had like lots of jewels and shit down there. Yeah. So I've <laughs> I've used that. Yeah. To make myself rich. Yeah. And also now I own a Hollywood studio. Yeah. Let's make a movie, you guys. Right. Well, I I also love as we find out later his all of his ideas behind that stem from this this concept of whether or not, however he feels about the rest of his race, he's kind of like you know what I think I really want to bang Sue Storm, and it's entirely worth spending cajillions of dollars on that because it means nothing to me but yeah page seven is kind of that point where he spins around i'm like this is going to be like my favorite issue of the fantastic four to this might even top issue four but but it kind of doesn't like as much as i enjoy the next pages or whatever it peaks peaks when it's submariners like i am really rich and i've got movie studio yeah. everything after that does not live up to that opening no it really doesn't like yeah just all of that stuff even the thing lying on the beach you know well the problem really is that 
they then play that setup, which is a comedy setup. Yeah. Straight. Yes. They then go, well, it's all a plan because he really wants Sue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As opposed to th- everything about this is ridiculous. Let's play it for laughs. Right. Yeah, no, it it gets it gets weird. It does it gets weird, but it also gets underwhelming. And again, until the until the sequence where the thing and the submariner duke it out, you actually get two long sequences of well, they're not that long, but you know, Mr. Fantastic versus a Cyclops and you know, Johnny Storm versus the amazing asbestos people of racio stereotypia. That... Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because that is. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's. Yes. Yeah. There's there's so many problems with that. Yeah. That is that is ebony, in the spirit level of. Yeah. You know, in your brain, you're like, it was the period. It was right. the time. You just got to keep I telling have, yourself. I, yeah. I, I, I can't get past this. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really, really. Is. It's very much the, hey, all these black guys who were not even making black, by the way, were making gray. Yes. Uh, all of these guys are savages. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, oh, God. Yeah, which will be interesting further on down the line here. But yeah, it is, it's, it is, it is uncomfortable. But also just from a plot point way, there is a way in which it's like the Submariner is more interesting, certainly, than racial stereotypes and arguably more interesting than yet another giant monster, even though that giant monster is the Cyclops. So... There's a lot of an amazing first seven to nine pages letting the air out of the tires substantially, then an all too short but kind of dramatic fight between the thing and the submariner. I love the scene where where Ben's just dragging him up the beach, basically. Yeah. I just thought that yeah. that was fantastic. And then he gets struck by lightning for no reason as far as I can tell. Because the plot's demanded he yeah. something happened to change things yeah. and he gets struck by lightning and becomes Ben Grimm. Yeah. Yeah. And then Submariner shows up with Sue Storm and really the closest that the story comes again there's a little bit of the well got to keep in mind it's the era but he is crazy date raping. Oh, yes. The yeah, conclusion of this. You know. Yes. He's pretty much like, I've beaten your menfolk, now you belong to me. Yes. And she's like, but I don't want you to. And he's like, what are you talking about? And goes full on electric eel Pepe Le Pew. Well, but also, he goes full on, but I love you, therefore your feelings mean nothing. Exactly. Exactly. Which this is, has nothing is... to do about you, it has everything to do about me. Yes, you know? I've decided that you're worthy of me, therefore. Right. Yeah, in other words, yeah, everything like you, you fully expect... <laughs> Namer, Namer were around today. He would be doxing girls, you know, because he and his Gamergate buddies just really don't approve of how slatternly they are, you know, and that they're wrecking games or something, ethics, something. So, if Namer were around today, that's a sad, sad thing to say. I think you're commenting on the fact that Namer was apparently killed in this week's. He was in like a terrible, terrible boating accident. So, uh,. <laughs> Wow, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> that would be. It's like, huh, the irony on that one does not escape me. <laughs> and this is the issue. Sorry, issue nine is where Buddy Sanders of Lone Star Comics shows up. He's not and of Lone Star Comics. Paul Gambaccini. 
Paul Gambaccini's letter is amazing. Yeah, who's Paul G- Gambaccini other than the other than just a troll who was awesome? I, Paul, I Paul Gambaccini was. later on became a disc jockey in the UK. Uh, he is the inspiration for Gambi, who makes the Flash's villains outfits in Gardner Fox's Flash stories. What? Are you just pulling yeah, that yeah. out of your no, ass? No, seriously. He is like a really well-known fan who then went on to become like a media person in the UK. Oh my god. That's amazing. Well, one of these issues... And he, and he writes this letter that says... Yes. I, I have to read this letter. Please. Out. Dear editor, I've tried to hold back for months, but can't do it. My hatred of your mags has caused me to write. Your letters column is stupid with as nine re- replies to only Lord's story letters. Artwork is horrible. Your heroes are Lily Lily with obvious faking of emotions. <laughs> when you're dealing with human emotions, you have to be serious about it. The so-called heroes who act like real people, if so, I pity the human race, are fighting the greatest menace to mankind in each story, and they're too good to be realistic. Oh, man. Yeah. It's delightful. Wow, Paul didn't like Fantastic Four. And I'm sure if you found him today, he'd be like, I always loved that run. Yeah, exactly. That was my favorite. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, so good. That was the other Paul Gambaccini. Yeah, exactly. The evil Paul Gambaccini. Uh, issue 10. Uh, no, 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 no. Are we not done? No. Sorry. So not get past issue 9 without pointing out that the end of issue 9 is that the Fantastic Four do actually make the movie, which is such a success, yes. they become rich again, yeah. and it's never mentioned again. Ever. I know. I know. Ever. I love that so much. <laughs> they get, they become millionaires because of the success of this film, which is never again mentioned. Oh. By anyone. And let us just say, I totally forgot, the best thing about this issue is how 100% prescient, apart from this ending, it is about the Fantastic Four and their relationship with Hollywood because we're coming up on the fourth Fantastic Four movie, only the third to be released theatrically, and it's probably going to suck too. So the idea that the Fantastic Four (laughs) have come to Hollywood and get fucked over by an evil Hollywood producer. But Jeff, that shows this is not realistic because in this one, their movie comes out and is a success. Sure, after the Hollywood producer tries to kill them, that part's accurate. It's just the final panel that's not on point. Everything else up to it. Josh Trank is a submariner? Yes, he is. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. That, suddenly Chronicle makes a lot of sense. <laughs> now it can be revealed. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Roger Corman was actually the submariner. Come on. That makes more sense. So, uh, What about Tim Story? I, that's it. I'm done with potential Fantastic Four. Oh man! Well, he he was a director, was right? Tim Story did both. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, the, I think he, he definitely he definitely the directed two, the two that have come out. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, yeah, we will have to see what happens. But so far, I think with the with the with the this was all a, with the wonderful Poochie. I have to go back to my own planet now, where the Fantastic Four triumph overall. Uh, yeah, no. The fact that they went to Hollywood and got screwed over, that's the part that I remember because it's the part that is still true today. Issue 10, The Return of Doctor Doom. Are you ready? Can your mind handle I it? I am. Okay. Issue, issue 10 is hilarious, but also issue 10 is the one where they, uh, Lee and Kirby go full on meta and literally insert themselves into the comic. Yes. Yeah. And insert themselves into the comic, bemoaning the fact that they can't think of a villain as good as Doctor Doom. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it, it's 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 great. One of the, and it is no, it is not surprising because here in issue ten we have had five issues 
with the Submariner and Doctor Doom. And in fact, if you ignore the first three issues, the Submariner and the Doctor Doom have appeared in five of the last seven issues, which is bananas. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a great shot of 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 them going through traffic and fucking up stuff, which is great. Just to be able to see Alicia Masters like um actually. Well, figures. because this is this is the wonderful issue where the nuclear lock on the door gets stuck. Yes. Yes. And Johnny decides that he'll burn himself out mm -hmm. because he's concentrated his flame so much that it burns without heat. I love that. Like, what the fuck was someone thinking there? Like, Stan's like, yeah, that happens. I'm like, well, then why? Isn't that technically nothing? Aren't you talking about yes. here? What, what is a flame? <laughs> <laughs> just that's a what is a flick <laughs> exactly take your time on this one yeah um so yeah the opening is bonkers and again almost more comedic than anything and then you really kick into the comedy of lee and kirby being being like the oh yeah we sure can't come up with a menace like dr doom every day and then he walks in the door exactly we've peaked and then he comes in and he comes in for the greatest reason yeah he comes in and he's just like hey could you call the fantastic four and tell him to come over yes i love that so much yeah yeah i do that is the best the, this although his, his entrance is the is the best mm -hmm. he comes in just goes did someone mention my name <laughs> <laughs> this is the issue this is uh what the third appearance by dr doom uh yes yeah uh it's third appearance by dr doom and it's the least doom like yes because you get his thought balloons at one point and he, he's like sister you ain't seen nothing yet <laughs> oh i missed that what page is that on that would be awesome uh it, it's on page 15 oh my he God. goes all right sister you're asking for it oh yeah right exactly like what the fuck oh right 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 when he's in as reed richards well okay but and yeah but he, he he swapped brains with reed richards so here's the thing that i think is amazing is this is how consistent dr doom is is that you can have him act entirely in character before you've even really established that character. You know what I mean? Like, you go on to establish the idea that Dr. Doom is obsessed with Reed Richards and obsessed with proving himself superior to Reed Richards and obsessed with the idea that Reed Richards has, you know, fucked up his, his life and it's all Richards' fault because Doom can't acknowledge the fact that he makes a mistake. All of this is down the road in terms of what the creators have actually it will impart to us, the readers. But right here is he has a chance to, in theory, swap minds with anyone, you know, swap bodies with anyone. And he goes for Reed. And there's a way in which he's sort of like, my idea is like, I have to swap with Reed because no one else, these people don't know what science is and I can fool them, which is great. Well, well no, but, but even more than that, you see that Doom, Doom says he steals all the technology from the aliens who rescued him. Yes. He sees that they have essentially defeated death by being able to transfer minds into clones. Yes. And what he takes from that isn't. I can become immortal. Yes. But I can have my revenge on Reed Richards. Yes. Yeah. Like that, that for me is the, not why did he choose Reed Richards over anyone else? Mm -hmm. The, he gave up immortality. Yes. To get back. To at get Richards. back at Reed Richards. No, I know, which I think is wonderful. It makes a ton of sense to me, despite the fact that all the other groundwork for the character isn't laid yet. Like even, like even here, he's, he's fixated in a way that is, um, 
that is that is how do I put it like ever like so much else about Doctor Doom somehow nuanced in its lack of nuance you know I and I adore that yeah um, before we continue with the story let me just say that out of all the Fantastic Four pinup pages the only one that stuck was the Sue Storm Invisible Girl one in this issue because is it is it because of the caption yes in answer to many requests. <laughs> Note the details on the control panel of Sue's section of the fabulous Fantastic Car. Yes, that is Stan actually there being like, here's a pinup of the Invisible Girl. Nobody cares about her. We know that. Just look at the council. Amazing. And to be fair, Kirby draws Sue with exactly that kind of face. The the face of someone who is aware what an unbelievably thankless task it is to be her. So... <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, Sue, you really get a shitty, shitty, let's, let's see, a shitty, shitty 399 <laughs> issues out of 460 issues. Whoa, don't spoil it for I, me. I, I might be low-balling it. You could be, you turn the corner, any, any issue now, any issue now, they're going to catch on. So bad. Poor, poor her. Um... So yeah, although we are we are very close to the wonderful defense of Sue Storm in the story. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's 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 oh my god, the whole thing with his like dinosaur theory is hilarious. I love the fact that we oh, get those dino astronauts. His dinosaur theory, oh, his dinosaur theory uh, listeners, uh, for those who haven't read this issue, first of all, you should try and make a point of this issue because the dinosaur theory is amazing. Is the dinosaurs would have been fine if their bodies were smaller, because if their bodies were smaller, their brains would have been larger in context, <laughs> and therefore everything would have been okay. <laughs> I, I love the idea that, that this is his way. He's trying to convince them that he can shrink everyone and then grow them. He's like, take the torch, for instance. Imagine if he could shrink to a much smaller size. And while shrinking, imagine if he could still retain all of his amazing powers. Then after returning to normal size again, he'd find that his powers had increased. No, this makes no sense whatsoever. And I love that at least Lee later has has um, Dr. Doom thinking like, they fell for my story like a ton of bricks. Reed Richards would have seen through it, but a little scientific double talk can fool almost any... Yeah. Other unsuspecting victims. Which appears thing. They do fall for his They story totally like do. They, I love that. This is an element it's of the Fantastic Four. He's entirely right. <sighs> because that was the stupidest theory ever. Yeah. What if I shrink you, you guys down and then grow you back up? You'll be, you'll be stronger. Yes. And they're all like, okay. It's that makes they're, sense. They're literally like me first. No me. I, I do, I do think that there was something that would be. Again, there's so much about the Fantastic Four that you can do, like, you can parody endlessly. And God knows the Venture Brothers certainly have taken so much of this stuff and, and mined it for all it's worth. But I would love to have a Fantastic Four where the instant Reed Richards steps out of the room, they're just all idiots. Like, they're just massively, <laughs> massively stupid. Like, just able to be... Cause but what they're saying, I don't even know. I, I have the slightest theory, maybe, on the first page of like, oh, I think I know what Kirby was going for here that Lee totally fucking screwed up. But then as it goes on, it just goes more. I, I don't, because if you look at just the images with the text, you have a picture of dinosaurs, and then you have a picture of dinosaurs in space. That is the best. <laughs> Frankly, 
fuck anyone for trying to get in the way of that second panel because that panel is genius. It's dinosaurs. Good. Fucking anthropomorphic human sized dinosaurs. Like on the moon. They're fucking on the moon. That's like the Earth. We don't know if they're human sized, Jeff. Oh, I I feel like they are, but you're totally right. They're probably giant. Although I will say this. They do have longer arms. Yeah, than they have long. Trips. That's what I'm saying. They become humans. So anyway, yeah, my whole thing is, I ha- I have a theory. <laughs> I don't think we have time for me to explain what I think that Kirby was thinking, but I would love it because listeners, if you want to know what a complete and utter boob I am, just ask me about it someday. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. This has to be your tag entry for the site this week. Oh man, maybe maybe I will. Yeah yeah yeah. I I think you're right. Okay, uh-huh. so... Um... But yeah, so so the reason uh, Dr. Doom wants to shrink him down is Dr. Doom is apparently... It's not even apparently. Dr. Doom is clearly a genius. Yes. He has an incredible amount of scientific and magical knowledge at his his disposal. His one plan to get rid of the Fantastic Four is what if I just shrink them down to nothing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? It was just that, like... That, that's it. That's it. Uh, there you Dr. go. Doom, I, expect, I expected more, Dr. Doom. I know. It is, it's not I, exactly I'm just going to put that out there, but I did. I expected more. The other thing that I love in this issue uh, is, I mean, well, there's a couple. The fact that, that Sue Storm knocks out a man in armor with a vase, uh, that's amazing. But I love the fact, again, a little touch of, like, you don't see this in, in superhero comics ever, is they come out of Alicia Masters' apartment and... And the kids are ransacking the Fantastic Car, you know, and and they're like, "Hey, get away from our Fantastic Car, kids! Beat it!" I totally, I just that is great. I just love the fact that they walk out of a building and like people are in the process of like peeing in the Fantastic of, like, Car. Stealing, yeah. yeah, exactly. I also love that um, Alicia Masters has. This is the first. No, actually, it's not. It's the second time mm-hmm. that you realize Alicia Masters has superpowers that no one ever comments on. Oh yeah. Completely. Because previously, previously she has made perfect statues yes. of people she's never met. Yeah, yeah. Perfect statues based on descriptions. Yes. And she's blind. Yeah. She's blind. And then, and then in this issue, mm-hmm. she can feel a sense of warmth of spirit and kindness. Yes. In the body of Doctor Doom as possessed by Reed Richards when he's unconscious. Yes. So somehow, through... The feeling of touch. Yes. Touching a metal mask yeah. of a bad guy's body. Yep. Even though an unconscious uh, good guy is currently possessing him. She knows that he's a good guy. Yes. Alicia Masters is telepathic. That's the only it's true. thing. In the previous in the previous issue or the issue where she's introduced, she she can hear the invisible woman's heartbeat in the room. Like she's invisible, but her but Alicia's heightened senses can hear Sue Storm, and she finds her. Like you said, she's clearly oh telepathic. Oh my god, you're saying Alicia? What's or it? she's Daredevil? No, see, this is it. Stepfather, her real father. She and Matt Murdock are brother and sister. Oh shit! Also, that's gotta suck for battling Jack Murdock, having two blind kids. Oh, they're not his. They're the, what? They're not. Are they Magnetos? No. Graham, the answer's been I in front of us all. No. The Mole Man. The Mole Man who also is no, blind. No. No. And do you know why I'm going to say this, Jeff? Yes. In issue one, 
very explicitly it shows that Mole Man could not get a date, and that's why he's decided he's going to destroy the world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He So how can he have kids if he never got a date? He couldn't get a date, but that didn't mean that he didn't accidentally knock up the one woman that he hired. So um, no, I I thought you were going to go rape for a second. There. No, so no, that's, no, that's gross. Come on. No, 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 no. Anyway, uh, yes, no, I know. I, absolutely. Unfortunately, the mole man doesn't work because it is important that the mole man is a virgin. That is absolutely part and parcel of the origin. That seems super necessary. Unfortunately, which I, but is is not. That's not even subtext. That's actual. Text. Oh, it's actual text. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Mm-hmm. That's the first thing in the story that they're like, this is why I became a bad guy. Yes. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go on a date with you. And he's like, fuck it. I'm destroying humanity. Yeah. It's so great. Well, to be fair, he does try and become a world traveler for a while. Like the, the mole man surprisingly accomplished, you know what I mean? Before he like falls down the mole hole and, you know. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> yeah, issue 11. Yes. A visit with the Fantastic Four and the Impossible Man. So, uh, well, let's just talk about how great the, a visit from the Fantastic Four is. Yes, it's really, really amazing. Yeah, it is half the issue, and it is there's no villain. Yes, it is the Fantastic Four basically going to pick up their mail and then reading their mail. Yes, and then what's crazy is uh, at some point where they answer the reader's mail, it goes from them answering the reader's mail to talking directly to the reader and breaking the fourth wall, which is insane. And as if that isn't insane enough, is the wonderful, like, how dare you talk bad about Sue Storm? She's like Abe Lincoln's mother, which is the most... We will come back to that in a second, because before we get there, Jeff, you get the uh, background of Ben Grimm and Reed Richards. That's right. Which you find out that Ben Grimm is... The hero of every American who could read a paper. Yes. Because of his piloting in World War Two. And then, more importantly, I never fucking followed up on. Yeah. Reed Richards is a fucking spy. Yes. Yeah. Reed Richards worked for the OSS. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yes. And again, that's something you should follow up on. Yeah. Marvel Comics writers. Yeah. You then get a retelling of the origin, which they change. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Huge changes to it. And again, this weird, like, oh. And you're issue 11. You're like, mm-hmm. you're a year out. Yeah. Um, maybe slightly more than a year. But you're, you're, you are nonetheless very close to this being published. And they changed the origin. Yeah. You know, in such a way that de-emphasized the invisible woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because she was the first one to change the first time around. That's right. And this time it's a thing. No. It's, it's, it's kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's none of the we have to like put that uh, that iconic thing of all of them putting their hands on one and you know one another and pledging to be the FF taken out. Like the the origin is less interesting and more like I don't know. It's it's streamlined. It's it's not just streamlined. It's smoothed off. They've taken a lot of the rough edges and smoothed them off, and not just the. Like the the weird the thought the the menace and the monstery and even their ability Unless to not get much, along. It's much more. It's much more daring too. Yeah, yeah. It it's much more. This is a crazy adventure. Yeah, we we were all doing it as as a gang, and then we came down and craziness happened. Whereas the first time it was it was horrific. Yeah. It's, it, it was body horror the first time, and now it's now it's a superhero comic. Yeah, let let me just say that I do love like that first sequence. As you point out, it's the challengers. But when Kirby revisits 
in issue one, the, the, the origin sequence of them going through the cosmic rays, it is, it is vivid. It's a vivid, horrific sequence that he uses a lot of close-ups on in ways that he doesn't necessarily for a lot of the rest of the issue. It's really fully rendered and terrifying. And here it's kind of like, yeah, you know, eh, unfortunate, but eh, what are you going to do? Exactly what? Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do? Yeah. And then they go into the wonderful <sighs> Sue Storm thing. Wonderful. Wonderful for multiple reasons. Yeah. Firstly, the Sue Storm is crying about the letters. Yes. Yeah. 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 And covering her her hand, her face with her arm, not even her hand, mm-hmm. her full arm. Yeah. Uh, then Reed gets disgusted by the letters. Yes. As as does Ben. I never expected anything like this. Yes. Uh, Reed gets very very annoyed, and then explains why Sue is so important. Yes. To the Fantastic. Yeah. Should I? Should I read? Please. Should I read? Read. <laughs> Maybe this will help them to understand. He says, pointing to a bust of Abraham Lincoln, who just happens like just happens to be in the room. See this bust of Abe Lincoln. Remember his famous remark about his mother? That time he said that all he was, all that he ever hoped to be, he owed to her. Lincoln's mother was the most important person in the world to him, but she didn't help him fight the Civil War. She didn't split rails for him. She didn't battle with his enemies. And then Ben Grimm goes, in fact, if we printed Lincoln's life in our mag, some wise guy would probably write in and ask why we didn't leave his mother out of the story, because she doesn't do enough. Oh man! Okay. Then, then goes to a, a two-panel flashback of things Sue has done. Yes. And then cuts to Ben Grimm going, "If you want readers want to see women fighting all the time, then go see lady wrestlers." I love that response. So oh, there's man. there's a couple of things that are totally noteworthy, and the thing that's really sad is again, I know I keep mentioning the Gamergate thing because I'm either getting people to like dox us or uh, drop our podcast in the first episode. But it is interesting to me. There is that idea of like, you know, the the defense is just horrible. But I'm fascinated by the way in which um, here's all the members of the FF and Sue, just as happens with (laughs) what happens with real females on the Internet, is the one who's getting the hate mail. Also, Jeff. Please never say females. Can you not just like there's that actually struck out to me when I was reading the book as well. <laughs> they never say women. Yeah. Yeah. They go females. Females. Yeah. Exactly. So it's 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 a bizarre yes, I I apologize, Graham. I apologize for offending your your very God, I wish I could think of the Dim Sim the Dave Sim joke. Also, if you say Dave Sim super quick when you're in a hurry, it sounds a lot like <laughs> Dim Sum. <laughs> I noticed. Dim Sum Service the Aardvark, which let me tell you <laughs> is the comic I uh, want to read. Uh, okay. Um, then the, invis- then the, sec- the Impossible Man. Yeah, the yeah. second half of the issue is The Impossible Man, um, which is totally goofy. Yeah. I, I'm goofier than any... Like, Fantastic Four has been goofy before now. Yes. But they've never had a strip that is just set out to be silly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is... And I think I've said this before in the podcast. I'm not a big fan of like the not brand x stuff or something like that yeah. like it doesn't i see why it's supposed to be funny as opposed to it is funny mm-hmm. and this is very much the same to me so so yeah uh so you're saying that overall the 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 humorousness of it didn't really didn't really humorify you yeah it, it's 
it seems silly as opposed to funny. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it it do, it does what it does, right. but it's what it does is not particularly interesting to me. I guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it it feels like filler. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think that I think that Lee and Kirby both can be pretty amusing dudes, and I think I think I sort of there's a way in which I I enjoy this this issue. Interestingly enough, for guys who I get the sense don't necessarily read superhero comics per se, it's a little bit of them being like, oh hey. Here's our take on because both Batman had Batmite and Superman have Mr. Mitzelplik. And what's kind of of note here is when the Fantastic Four get their version of that character, that character has no interest in them whatsoever. I mean, in a way, they're like, oh, sure, you're kind of interesting because you have conflict, but. He's he's not, he's not like here I am with a five on his chest like ready to join the team. Yeah, yeah. Which um, which uh, is later. I was going to say spoilers for about two hundred issue two hundred and fifty issues down the road. So we'll that we'll deal with that when we come to it. Um, so yeah, I like the Impossible Man. I kind of like I just, but it's it's not it's it's very throwaway. It, yeah. it's interesting how much in a way. Issue eleven kind of feels like a fill-in issue. Yes, just, it, it feels like they're a bit exhausted. Yeah, completely tired. Um, so issue twelve, the Incredible Hulk, is very reminiscent of the Avengers' first few issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, not not only because you have the Hulk as the uh, the MacGuffin, mm-hmm. but the level of the heroes are implicit in the joke, like you are a reader, mm-hmm. is the same mm-hmm. for me. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's also the wrecker. It's, I'm glad to see that uh, Marvel liked to recycle names even back then. Uh, but it's it's very it, it's it's we have lost by this point the monsters. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the monster of the issue is gone. Yeah. Um, but we're not into the supervillain period yet either. Yes, and so this issue is another one where she sort of suffers through uh, not having a, a great antagonist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I guess the antagonist is ultimately the army. Yeah, I mean, you get into it's to me, it's a lot like the the evil duo issue. You know that that for an issue of the Fantastic Four, it's really more of a, hey, kids, check out the Hulk. You know, we introduce the Hulk. We introduce what's happening with the Hulk. We even sort of, you know, we bring in the majority of the characters, you know, in kind of a, oh, look, here, you know, here's Johnny and Rick Jones. Like, you think they'd be buds? Surprise. They both think each of them are awesome and the other person sucks. You know, but honestly, it's... To me, it was like, this issue is really pretty low stakes until you get to the sequences of the Hulk fighting the FF. And frankly, those those are a shockingly low number of pages for the, the rest of the book, you know? Mm-hmm. Again, there's still stuff going on here where there's there's an entire two pages where everyone's like, well, here's how I'd stop the Hulk. It's like, oh, well, that's nothing. You should see how I'm going to stop the Hulk. Well, you know. Also, you get the problem with this is you have to have the Hulk escape. 
he well, has sure. his own comic. It, this, yeah. is a sale, this is a sales pitch for the Hulk's comic. Yeah. Um, and because of that, again, you're degenerating your main characters. Yeah. Because in order for the Hulk to escape, they have to be stupid. Mm-hmm. They have to defeat the Hulk and then forget he's there and right. go off and do something else. Right. Right. And, well, and that's, that's just like, that's just a problem with the narrative. That that That's an insurmountable problem for me because it's so much of a gimme that you're like, oh, come on. Yeah. I Well, and it, it, I think for me, it's so funny. Like, I'm sort of like, oh, I hadn't really noticed that until you pointed it out, but it's true. I think my my problem is, is that, you know, the villain is even by established evil scientist, evil communist scientist standards, incredibly underwhelming. You know, like not only he does, does, he does just essentially frown a lot. He's a bald yeah. man who frowns. Yeah. yeah, yeah, frowning bald guy, and he's not like the rest of the bald guys that Stanley seems to hate so mysteriously for some reason. He is just milk toast. He is dull, dull, dull. He is such a perfunctory villain in this mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, it's just kind of unfortunately it it has a little bit of those things. I just. I I love I love the Hulk for whatever weird reason, as you know from from my my sketchbook entry on the Wait What uh, website, I, and I love Kirby doing the Hulk, but mm-hmm. there's a weird way in which Lee and Kirby doing the Hulk just never it just never gels. It, it, you know? it never clicks. Yeah, you, you know. Well, I think part of that is that they never really knew what they were doing. And yeah, I don't even right. necessarily mean that in a bad way, but it's clear. Yes. You, you look at their issues; they're they're constantly going, "What about this? What about yeah. this?" They yeah. they they just are not comfortable with what the Hulk is to them. Yeah, they they just have to keep changing around the status quo, and there is something that it's yeah. They're just deeply. I just feel that the level in which what interests Kirby is at such a subconscious level, he can. He can't really make a story out of it. He just makes images and impressions and ideas and things. And Stanley himself can only really go so far. You know, like if if his artist is not on him, it's the Hulk is a weird dynamic that's just kind of out of Lee's grasp. And like you said, they keep changing it. You know, Kirby's out, and then they put Ditko in, and Ditko can do a whole bunch of other stuff. He certainly hates commie spies a lot more than Kirby does. But there's not a lot of, I don't know. It, it it's just they're they're kind of they are kind of lost about it because there is a way in which the Fantastic Four is the perfect venue for Stanley to have a teenage protagonist slash superhero despite the fact that he really doesn't know anything or is that interested about teenagers you know to me spider-man works for such a huge chunk of the time because you know because for 40 issues it's steve ditko putting everything into that book and lee being like oh okay i get it yeah okay you know yeah i i can do this right Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I, so I see where you're doing. He's, you know, Lee is a, is can be a fat. Maybe he's not a fast learner, but he can learn. He, but, but the Hulk is too weird of a learning curve for him. He doesn't. No one's given him enough to really do anything. You know, he's kind of like ah, oh, Rick Jones. He's my hero, but he's also kind of, 
not. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Is this... is, is, he's my hero. Is he the hero? I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm, what am I supposed to do with Bruce Bonner? And I mean, sure. Yeah. I, but there's the military guys. Are they the bad guys? And you you see him working yeah. that out. Yeah. And yeah. asking the question. And because of that, it makes a really uneven an interesting but a really uneven reading experience. Yeah, it's a, it is uneven. It's 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 interesting more than it is in any way enjoyable. And so honestly, I feel a lot of that really carries over here to this issue where I'm kind of like suddenly there's a little bit of the we don't quite know what to do with the Fantastic 4 either, you know. Yeah, th- this is this is very much the last issue was a filler issue but mm-hmm. entertaining. It took yes. the the family aspect and mm-hmm. the the friendly aspect mm-hmm. and basically vamped for an issue. Yeah. And this issue instead takes the adventure aspect, but they don't know what to do with the adventure aspect. Right. When you take the monsters away, they don't really know what to do. And so you end up with this very strange issue that never quite comes alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that is even reflected in the chapter titles. Yes. Like you saw what the, the name of the fourth chapter is right yeah yeah in the fact hulk I was at just last thinking, yeah exactly four chapters in it's the hulk at last and on top of it it starts off like here they are they're supposed to be like hunting the hulk and they're like oh let's fix up this jet sled and let's put the thing in it and it's like oh look we put it all together and it's it's it, it's serves again in terms of that kind of Kirby thing of like, well, there's something interesting happening on every page. Yeah, sure. But it is so utterly unmoored from who the characters are or what they're supposed to be doing in the story. So this also is a weird amount of vamping in a way that doesn't have the the sort of completeness that the previous issue did. It, it's, it's, um, it's, again, a misfire. So yeah. This is what, two, two out of 12 don't work? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, I would. That's, that's a pretty good batting average. That, that's not bad. I mean, admittedly, the ones that work work in these kind of like, wow, that's completely fascinating and weird ways. I mean, because we're going to call, are we calling Captains of the Deadly Duo a misfire then, or or Kurgo, Master of Planet X? Uh, I'm calling Captains of the the, the Captains of the Deadly Duo. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I would Kurt, call that. Kurgo is. I kind of love Kurgo, and it yeah. it doesn't work, but I kind of love it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think the the great thing about these first twelve issues, and and to contrast it with our Avengers read through, is the Avengers issues were unbelievably uneven, but they were also frequently dull. And this one really is like the only two issues that are really underwhelming and dull and feel kind of phoned in or uninspired. I think are. Uh, are the two issues like prisoners of Kurgo master of planet X is ridiculous, but it is absolutely enjoyably. So, So, yeah. 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 But yeah, by the time I got to this issue, I was like, this issue is kind of a little dull. I don't know. Again, sometimes it's like when you power read through a dozen issues. That is, that is the problem. Mm -hmm. You also, you get, uh, an unwelcome context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, you know, if you're reading this a month after everything else, you'd be like, Oh, that's, that's fine. But mm-hmm. when you you have read, you know, twelve for me at least, you know, twelve in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and generally in like two or three issue badges. Yeah, exactly. You you really are like, huh? So yeah, it's been better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Completely, completely. Well, Graham, uh, we're gonna have to learn how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if 
spice in it. Not like we were thinking this was going to be 90 minutes and it's turned out to be two and a half hours. That, <laughs> exactly. that, that's ridiculous, Jeff. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> it starts already. Yeah, it exactly. It again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Listeners, if this was your first Wait What listening experience, imagine that, but about lots of different types of comics. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much what it is. Even to the point where we get to the end, I'm exhausted, and I go, oh, man, really tired. <laughs> that's a Wait What staple. Trust me. Uh, listeners who have listened to lots of Wait What, I hope this lived up to your fantastic for expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we did everything we could. What's great is we'll be back next month to do another batch. We'll have to figure out what we feel like tackling, what might work. <laughs> <laughs> How long we're willing to go with each episode. Exactly. And uh, and uh, we will let you know. Definitely do sh- check out our show notes uh, at uh, waitwhatpodcast.com. Um, we are also f- on Patreon. Which That's we right. Say, uh, which is patreon.com forward slash waitwhatpodcast. That's right. Uh, where thanks to the, um, gosh, I have to look it up now. The 84 individuals, uh, we actually are bringing you this very podcast as the result of people pledging money to get us to the level where we're like, okay, 94, 94 patrons help make this all possible. Look for us at uh, on Twitter, um, Tumblr, uh, Tumblr is waitwhatpod.tumblr.com Twitter is uh, waitwhatpodcast I thought for a second you're just going to leave it look for us on Twitter, just look so, just look, <laughs> we're there somewhere just start typing on things, there's a search bar it's really helpful I have to say the, the search function wait, in what Twitter podcast is on Twitter, don't listen to Jeff <laughs> anyway, yes uh, everyone, thank you, this has been the, the inaugural episode of Baxter Building we will be back in a month. Or next week if you just want a regular Wait What episode. That's right. Exactly. Uh, we'll see you then. Bye!